0: All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of Cooking Up a Story with Aaron and Joe. Today we have our friend Bob Rotten. R- Rotten. 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 One, How dare I? Leave one of the T's out. Yeah, Rotten. Um, Bob's in the studios with us, which is always a pleasure. And um, today's podcast is brought to you by Proud Pyro, our buddies in Mulberry, Kansas. They've got all your outdoor fire cooking, meat grilling, uh, Pleasures, plenty of jerky. Plenty of jerky, which, which I need to, still need to get you some. Yeah. Um, they've got outdoor grilling kits. They've got little kits that you can take camping with you, throw it out there, cook cook for you and your family out in the middle of nowhere. They've got all sorts of great stuff. Go check them out at uh, proudpyro.com. And at checkout, use promo co- code COOKING to save yourself some money.
1: Well, Aaron, I'll tell you what. Uh, Coincidentally, me and Bob look like we're going to the Sadie Hawkins dance. you know what a Sadie Hawkins dance is? Uh, I'm not
0: familiar. That's youth for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: so long ago, there was a <laughs> dance that they would throw, and it, it, it was a couple's dance when that was still a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the man and the, the woman, the girl and the boy – they would wear matching outfits for mm-hmm. some reason. And I don't know. Bob, do you know who Sadie Hawkins was? Not really. No idea. Aaron, that's a good research project to see <laughs> On who Sadie. All right, so let me introduce somebody. So me and Bob are dressed the same, so don't get confused, Aaron. Uh,
0: the exact same. I mean, cargo shorts with yeah. the same camo shirt. What is it? Uh, Ducks Northwest un- Ducks Unlimited? Yeah, Ducks Unlimited. Uh, yeah, I I think they called each other and <laughs> no, planned this out. That's of course. It's really, really cute. <laughs> special. So, <laughs> so anyways, uh,
1: folks, look, I've got my buddy Bob here, and, and uh, pretty near every morning I will read Bob's an early riser, just like most good American men. Uh, Bob's an early riser, and he wakes up, and, and he writes a little topic of, of whatever's on his mind and it's an absolute great story it's it's kind of story we like it's the kind of story that paints the picture and uh you can kind of you get on board with bob you know you know exactly what he's talking about on his rant and and his rants aren't the the modern day rant where somebody's pissed off at the world and throwing everybody under the bus and it's nobody's fault or it's everybody's fault and not theirs and Mm -hmm. and bob's not that kind of guy but Bob go ahead and introduce yourself real quick tell us uh tell us who the hell you are
2: well I used to be somebody today I'm somebody else and who I'm gonna be tomorrow is anybody's guess (laughs) but let's see we'll go out I started out as a young pink child I'm now almost 72 years old been retired since 2009 um had two sons one of which we lost and have a granddaughter and a grandson who are the apple of my eye and keep this old man from sitting in a rocking chair all day.
1: That sounds pretty simple, Aaron. Yeah. Um, we're gonna elaborate on it. What we're that. gonna do yeah. is is we're going to build a life history of Bob. Okay. Okay, he just went real vague on us. Yep. <laughs> and so <laughs> you know, thinking of I've gotta go through my data bank here in, in my little bitty brain. And I got to think about, you grew up near the river.
2: Well, actually, the lake. I grew up in, uh, if you're not from that part of the state, you won't even know where this is. Henderson, Arkansas, which is across Lake Norfolk, about 12 miles from Mountain home. There are bridges across Lake Norfolk now, but when I was living there, when I grew up there, the only way to get from there to town was a ferry that was a little over a mile across the lake. In fact, I rode a school bus, you know, every day crossing that ferry back and forth the lake but now that we grew up in henderson i was uh two and a half my last house right on the lake two and a half miles down a dirt road and i think there was only one other house on the entire road so yeah. we were we were in the
1: sticks yeah, yeah. So, so uh we did an episode two or three episodes ago mm-hmm. that was based out of uh oxford and melbourne mm-hmm. and uh Uh, mount olive which is further down the river and so we have a lot of friends over there and beautiful part of the country so what did you what did your mom and dad do when you were little
2: they uh owned a resort that was on the lake that's where we were and it was one of those things it's not like they went in and bought a resort they went in and built a little one-room cabin that we lived in for four or five years me, my brother, my mom, my dad, and our boxer dog all in a one-room cabin. And while that cabin, well, while we lived there, they started building the second cabin. Once they had an extra one, they started renting it out, and then they started building another one. And they finally got up to the point that we had eight housekeeping cabins uh, right there on the lake. So y'all were early on this Airbnb thing first. Well, it was <laughs> called Airbnb, and, it, and it's funny what you remember all these years later. They had three different levels of cabin. One had a one bedroom, then we had a two bedroom and we had a three bedroom. Well for some reason I remember the three bedroom, but back then the three bedroom cabin was forty seven dollars a week and that included a free boat. Oh dang. really? So even threw seven in the boat. Seven nights. Wow. And it was forty seven dollars a week. But S- you know back then forty seven dollars would buy something. Yeah. What, what, what
1: what's uh what's the year we're talking about?
2: Uh back well I think they started it in I was uh, I was born just barely in 1951, almost 50, but they started the resort in 50 or 51.
1: Gotcha. So, way back in this era of, the, of uh, that was probably the 60s, what you're talking about, the actual resort?
2: No, it was, I mean, they were renting cabins in the mid-50s. Oh, oh okay. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I was a, a toddler with mom cleaning cabins. So,
1: were the dam hadn't been built yet? Oh,
2: no, the dam was there, the lake was there. Okay. Uh, that, and that was, And I, I'm not a I mean, I've fished all my life, but I'm not a a tournament bass fisherman, so I don't understand all this. But people talk about lakes being hot for a period of time Mm -hmm. somewhere. And I wish I could find them. I have pictures of my granddad with a string of 10 bass and the smallest bass on the string weighed seven pounds. Wow. And and now, yeah, now you look at uh, these bass tournaments. You got two hundred of the best bass fishermen in the world come in, and five pounds wins the big bass. Mm -hmm. Well, that was you didn't keep those back then. was too little. Yeah. (laughs) So,
1: so were there trout at that time?
2: No, not in the lake. No, but in the the, the river. In the rivers, yeah. No, the lake was not cold enough for trout.
0: So, hmm, I recall in one of your stories, you got Sadie's Hawkins. Well, I I do. I've got that pulled up. But forty-seven dollars in nineteen fifty. In today's dollars, is about five hundred and seventy-seven bucks. So about even money. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good week's pay. But I mean,
1: relatively speaking, it, you could, you might be able to get
0: get that same opportunity. I don't know. If may, close. close. It's close. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. With it's, a boat? Nope. <laughs> well, th- things were so much different back then yeah.
2: too. I mean, we had uh, the boats were sixteen foot V bottom fiberglass boats, and the only motor anybody had back then was a five and a half Johnson, five right. and a half horse Johnson. And you know, before all these, apparently bass were slower back then. You didn't have to run. You didn't have to run eighty miles an hour <laughs> to did, catch them. Did you need to wear a helmet? <laughs> no. no, no, no.
1: <laughs> That's. Uh... <laughs> that's we'll we'll dig into that when we get later in age here on on this uh history of bob so your mom and dad had this uh resort going and so you had an influx influx of tourists i guess coming in
2: we did in the summer and i don't know what, what's changed in that We had zero business in the winter. We didn't even rent cabins in the winter, except a little later in life, dad started uh, guiding a few quail hunters Mm -hmm. in the winter. But other than that, uh, we didn't have anything going in the winter. And of course I was a free range child. I mean, when I was a first grader, I'd get off the bus when it was the time of year that it was still daylight. I'd get off the bus, run in, grab my little 410, I was out to the woods by myself as a six-year-old, and nobody thought anything about it. You yeah, know, Go yeah. kill a cup squirrels, come back and get them. That was just life the way it was. And there were nobody, there was no no boats on the lake whatsoever in the wintertime. Yeah. You know, I was out there in my five-and-a-half-horse boat chasing ducks Or you can't really chase them, but I'd try to head them off as they came out of the cove, mm-hmm. and that was the only boat out there.
1: So they had 70-style fishermen, like— not 1970s but whenever the air temperature was 70, 70s that's whenever <laughs> that's whenever they had fish so what was your role in this resort
2: i just being a kid hanging out and what it, it was kind of an interesting thing that uh that i remember you know later down the road you know five six years when i was old enough to know what was going on when i was eight or nine years old most of our business were repeat customers there were people that came for two weeks every year mm-hmm. the same people over and over well we became friends with our kids and it was like you know you had your best buddies coming yeah. next week for two weeks and, right you yeah. know we'd swim and ski and scuba dive and mm-hmm. shoot guns and you know do what all free range kids do
0: yeah so did
1: you ever take on a guiding job
2: oh yeah i was guiding on the that on the river not on the lake much but the white river had become hot on trout and I was guiding on the White River when I was 14 years old, making 20 bucks a day without tips. Now, that doesn't sound like to us much, now, but at that time, my dad made a dollar and a quarter an hour driving a ready-mix truck. Yes. And the thing about the White River in those times, I mean, made it, I think a little less now, but back then, they kept that thing so stocked. There was no way you weren't gonna limit out in ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. So if if you could get the boat out there and not turn it over, you were guaranteed <laughs> to limit it out. So you had people coming from up north who, you know, weren't used to catching fish. Yeah. Well we'd get out in the boat, didn't mean you could drop the anchor fifteen feet out of the boat dock, it wouldn't have mattered. But to make it look like you knew what you were doing, you'd motor a mile up river like you were going to your super honey hole. And, Mm -hmm. boy, we started catching fish like crazy. And, well, they thought you were some kind of guru. So
1: at 14, they thought you were Hemingway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, you were
2: limited out within 30 minutes. Then we'd cull. I don't know if that was legal, but we did it. You would cull, you know, throw throw them back and keep bigger ones and all that. Well, man, at the end of three or four hours, they'd had plenty they had more than a limit and man they Mm -hmm. thought you were a guru and they'd give you five bucks tip which was big money so i was 14 years old making 25 bucks a day when dad was making 10
1: yeah so how (laughs) so dad must really like driving that concrete truck
2: well i mean you you (laughs) do what you got to do to make a living you
1: bet so you were bringing home the money
2: well no i was bringing home the money for my going zones i mean Mm -hmm. you know i'd uh we always had some kind of scam going, <laughs> the, the boat dock where everybody hung out. Somewhere I found a deal on an old pop machine. We called them Coke back then. I don't know what they, you know, I don't know what the brand was. But I put a Coke machine on the boat dock. Well, back then you could buy them for six cents a piece, and I'll sell them for a dime. Oh man, wow. I was rolling in the dough. Good night. And on the trout fishing, the other scam we got was selling worms. <laughs> uh, those trout were, you know, like I say, it's like fishing in a hatchery. I I think you could have put. I don't know, anything you wanted to on the hook and you were going to catch fish. Right. But we convinced them the only thing that would catch trout was the worms that I had. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we sold a lot of worms.
1: You know, that's uh, – I, I kind of was the same deal, you can imagine. I tried running my little scams as a boy. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, first of all, I think there's an easy sales pitch because you're a boy. Mm-hmm. And so somebody's going to say, well, I'll just help this kid out. And and so they'll pay good money for something, you know, um, but the fact is, is I never made more money than than my dad was making, and uh, that is that's a that's a good story. So you started mm-hmm. collecting money. So. Well,
2: one more money scam I got to tell you about. <laughs> okay, we used to call it the the crappie run, long about May's when I don't the crappie spawned or whatever, but everybody called a limit of crappie go up shallow. Yeah, about, by, back then I think the limit was twenty maybe. And so two people in a boat would go out, and they'd come in with forty crappie, and that would happen pretty much every day. Well, back then there was no such thing as filleting fish. You know, you scaled them, you grabbed right. them, cut the heads off. Well, I got this deal going. They didn't want to mess with them. Well, I'd clean them for them for a nickel apiece. Yeah. Well, forty fish times a nickel—that's yeah. two bucks. That's a lot of money back then. Sheesh.
0: Well done. How about you this, learn, Bob? You can learn something there. <laughs> how, about <laughs>
1: this, how about this, Bob? Bob, what kind of stock are we doing with? Bob, it? <laughs> Bob's Monopoly. <laughs> well, apparently, whatever it is, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you're uh, 14, you're being a fishing guide, got the resort. You all got about eight cabins going. Is that where you maxed out, never got any bigger than the eight cabins? Never
2: got any bigger than the eight cabins, no.
1: So, so when you were on the river... Were you in the same kind of boat as you were on the lake? You, no, no. You were running long White River boats.
2: We call them John boats. They were 20-foot, yep. like, flat-bottom fiberglass yep. boats, yeah.
1: Same boats they run today. Yeah, same thing, They're John boats. And, and you know what's weird, Aaron, is you could travel anywhere in the country, and you won't find people running these boats other than on the White River. It's, uh, it's a long, uh, max five-foot wide. Some of them are four-foot wide. 20-foot-long, shallow draft boats. Mm-hmm. You know what I learned here a while back being on the river was the, uh, the uh, what do you call them, shoals mm-hmm. on the river. You know what those were designed for? Of course you do. But I didn't. So like wildcat shoals in mm-hmm. Cotter. Right. So there's big boulders on the side of the river, and it narrows down that water. And makes, makes the water into a trough, mm-hmm. so it's faster, it's it's deeper. Those shoals were actually to run the, the paddle boats up the river. Really? And the barges back before the dams and all of that. See, I did not
2: know that those shoals were, were designed. I just thought that was naturally there and the water flowed down it. I huh. did
0: too, I, and I'd fished them so, a lot. It increased the velocity of the water, yes. so those paddles get spinning a little quicker. And
1: yeah, and, it, and it's huh. just amazing to me to think about <laughs> taking a, a paddle boat up the Mississippi, mm-hmm. taking a, a left turn, grabbing the river, and driving that boat all the way up the White River, and to get to, say, a mountain home or a Mount mm-hmm. Olive or whatever... And so this, this little town of Mount Olive was actually like 1,800 people back then before the railroad. Mm-hmm. And so your way of, of delivering crops downriver or receiving any goods was via this river, via a paddle boat. Hmm. And it, it just blows my mind. Wow. And so if you, you know, when the toilet paper shortage happened <laughs> and you think about these paddle boats, Well, we get into a bind where we have a drought like we were just experiencing, or last Mm -hmm. year uh, along the White River, it was tight on rain, you know. They'd be plumb screwed on this deal. Mm -hmm. You couldn't get supplies up the river. And so, you know, to think about the toughness of the people and their dependence upon, we use the rivers for recreation. Mm Mm-hmm. They use the rivers for their livelihood, for their well-being. Well,
2: speaking of livelihoods on it, of course, this was before my time, but my wife's grandfather, who owned a reasonable amount of land up on the White River back in those days, one of his money-making operations, or whatever you want to call it, was gathering mussel shells Mm -hmm. out of the river. Back then, they didn't make plastic buttons, and they would gather mussel shells and sell them to the button factories.
0: Yeah, and you know just like stamp them
1: i don't know how they made it well and listen to this you know there's freshwater pearls that come out of the white river Mm -hmm. and for a long time i mean they would get down there and they were just pulling muscle after muscle getting these pearls Mm -hmm. and there's a few years back zach mcclendon from monticello arkansas uh He's the guy that got alligator hunting legal in the state because he had a big alligator on his place. (laughs) And he also owned a bank or two and uh, Monarch Boats, which turned into Sea Ark boats. So he had some money. And so he was able to donate enough money to get an alligator season. (laughs) And he killed the state record alligator. Oh, yeah. But he started a business using those White River pearls, making jewelry and whatnot out of Mm -hmm. them. So, all right, well. We're, we got a long way. i man's love it. seventy-two years old. Yeah, man. that's wonderful. We're well, only seventy-two well, in
2: January. I'm I'm still in my seventy ones. Yeah, you I'm don't go it. halves anymore.
1: Well oh, Yeah, no, I'm I'm yeah. halves. You're going back to halves. Yeah. So for a long time in our life, we use halves quite a bit, mm-hmm. and then we get rid of halves.
2: Well, as you go through life, a lot of your birthdays have something coming with them. We were talking earlier about kids turning sixteen and get a driver's license. In the old days, you had a draft card at at eighteen. At 21, you could do certain other things. At 35, you were no longer eligible for the draft. At 65, you got uh, – now you get Medicare. Well, I've, I've hit that point that the next big event is the last event. <laughs> oh.
1: I thought you I thought you were going to tell me about that certain date when you had to get a thumb up your butt or whatever. Oh, you're 30 years late. <laughs> 20 years ago. All right, so we're out of 14.
0: yeah bob's hanging out on at the resort he's making money after high school what would you kind of get into what was the plans after that
2: uh well there, there's a little in between there when okay. i was uh sophomore in high school however old you are then my parents sold the resort and we moved to town so i finished out the two or three years where he had high school and then i came to Fayetteville and went to the university over here mm-hmm. and graduated from university in 73 i think
0: what was the reasoning on? Selling the resort,
2: you know, I don't know, they have just been doing it for so long, mm-hmm. it was uh, uh
0: just prime dur- dur- opportunity. during
2: the four months or whatever, it was seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and I think yeah. they were just ready to, yeah, have a little break. Good time to sell and move on. And again, it goes back to why in the world, and I'm not a numbers guy and I'm not a money guy, but why I remember this, I don't know. They sold the, the resort, had eight cabins at that point, we had a restaurant with it. The house we lived in, the eight cabins the restaurant and 28 acres and they thought they'd hit the mother load they sold it for $82,000 oh oh
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, have true. you been back up there to that area
2: you know i have and uh, the, the resort actually the cabins are still there but what happened to them when they sold them off uh primarily people from the Jonesboro area came over and bought individual cabins mm-hmm. and then made them fancy yeah gotcha. so they're now like eight you know, lake cabins for people. And I've been over and just, you know, drove through it. One of these days I would like, and I, I keep saying I'm going to and haven't yet, I'd like to go over there and just knock on the door and say, hey, I grew up here. Do you mind if I wander the woods a little in the back? Yeah. You know, well, so that'd that, be that's cool, that's yeah. where I grew up. And we... When I wanted to go squirrel hunting, it wasn't like you go squirrel hunting. We think if we go squirrel hunting, now you get in a car and you drive somewhere or whatever. Back mm-hmm. then, you just walk out the door and, which direction do I want to go? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was, that was my playground was all those woods. And we were, you know, we were free-range kids, which you don't see much now. But back then, we just wandered the woods and had a blast. You yeah.
1: know, free-range kid. I was a free-range kid myself and uh, had my rifle or, or whatever and – I'd take off, man, and I'd walk the fields, and then I'd walk into the the trees and grab the railroad tracks, walk down the railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. And there was absolutely zero way that anybody would know where the hell I was at. Yeah, You know, I mean, because I didn't know which direction I was going. I may get behind something and start chasing it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it it was one of those things to where I think actually makes you in the future it it gives you the ability to do it for your whole life you know you'll just take off and walk and Mm -hmm. explore now both of my kids like my wife has a hard time letting Clem go to the mailbox yeah because the boogeyman's gonna come and snatch him up and or stay out in the backyard and play and and I tell her all the time I say you know we live in the safest time you could imagine. There's no saber-toothed tiger out there. There's no Choctaw Indian that's going to scalp him. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing in this backyard short of ticks, chiggers, and maybe a snake <laughs> that's that's going to give him any sort of grief. Yep. But we've been kind of programmed that on every corner there's a kidnapper. Yeah. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and, and, and we'll get into what Bob did in, in in his later years, but I have never known anybody to get kidnapped. Have you, Aaron?
0: I have not. No. I got nothing. (laughs) I mean, Uh,
1: it's one of those deals to where, like, you know, I've been around a lot of people. I've never had someone say my son was kidnapped or mm -hmm. Now, oh, what's her name down in Alma? uh, Morgan Nick. Morgan Nick's deal. You know, that's probably – in this part of the country is probably the most famous kidnapping story and and to be honest with you i i doubt it was a kidnapping and more of just a homicide Mm. and uh but it's an unfair thing right now to not allow your kids that kind of freedom and i think that we're stealing from them right bob we're i had a
2: friend i not had a friend i still have a friend we still stay in contact who was uh uh, a combat a vietnam combat veteran had been in a bunch of stuff a uh, career law enforcement guy and he took his two grandchildren camping for the first time and i don't mean camping go to the campground pitch tent next to the people next door to you i mean throw some stuff on your back walk two and a half miles through the woods and build a campfire he took them camping for that first time and they said they built a little campfire and they were roasting hot dogs or whatever you do and it came time to go to bed and they were scared because they were out in the woods and he said well let me tell you something you know what the baddest meanest toughest thing in these woods is their eyes got big looked at him and he said what and he says me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he said that made him that made him feel fine and they went to bed and slept like a baby yeah yeah
0: yeah i think the biggest fear today and and it's i think it's prevalent i haven't heard anybody or i don't know anybody that's been sex trafficked but I think that would be it. Yeah, I think a Yeah, that's the biggest that's one concern. of those same deals. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, you hear this You can get caught up and get worried and worried and then and then at some point you're hindering your child's growth. Th- or you're you're installing more fear at some point. Well moment. and I think too it has a little bit to do I
2: mean the time obviously, but I think it has a little bit to do with where you are, where mm-hmm. I grew up. We were two and a half miles down a dirt road. There was nobody anywhere was going to do anything to you. There wasn't anybody to do anything to you. Yeah, that's a little different than if you live in a populated area with a highway with all kind of strange mm-hmm. people coming up and down the highway. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: when you add population, you add risk. Yeah. Because the numbers go up, and there's you know, there's kind of a uh, let's see a mathematical equation that deals with pi. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, when you've got this. This pie fraction, say out of 100 people, you're going to have three wolves. You're going to mm-hmm. have three bad guys. Yeah. And 100 people. So you, you get to a 1,000. Okay, you could do quick math. Mm-hmm. You, you, you got 30, 30. right? Mm-hmm. You get to 10,000, you got 300. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter, you can say that Chicago is a real shitty place. But the math on every area of our country is the same on the amount of bad people. Now, what you determine is bad is, is another thing. Um, you know, if you... You could say it's drug use. okay? Well, that can differ mm-hmm. because of poverty and w- whatever reason you get into that kind of stuff. But actual wolves, bad guys, mm-hmm. it's it's been a pretty consistent number over history. Now, I was asking this is something i was asking some guys today i said you know watching old westerns unless it was a name brand sheriff the sheriff in town always got killed mhm you know unless it was you know a pat garrett or or right. something like that if unless he was a name brand guy whenever the outlaws come to town pow they mm-hmm. shot the dang sheriff right and and then they got their way with the town and, and the reason why I brought that up was, you know, just in the past couple of days we've lost a few police officers in our country. Um, Excuse me. You're okay. day before yesterday there was an Oklahoma City cop was killed. His partner uh, was hospitalized. He was shot as well. The same day that that happens is down 71 business, Mulberry, uh, some police went went wild on an old boy mm-hmm. and uh, went to the extreme on this deal. Now, I can't base anything off of what i seen on a 30-second clip, but if that's the only information you had, they beat the shit out of this old boy Yeah, and grabbed him by his head, slammed his face into the asphalt. Now, if it's a one-on-one situation, a bad guy, law enforcement, and they went to scrapping, Hell, maybe the old boy needed his head pushed into the dirt. When it's three on one, mm-hmm. and you don't know any of the rest of the story. Now the story that I'm being told is this guy raised hell in Alma, uh, threatened some people, and he got his way up to Mulberry, threatened some people, said he's going to cut them up. He resisted, punched punched a police officer, and then the party started. And the person with the cell phone videoed this deal. Yeah. Now, at a certain point in Bob's life, after college, he became a lawman and worked for the Arkansas State Police. Um, Bob knows that I spend a lot of my free time traveling around the country, feeding law enforcement, and uh, and and we also feed firefighters and first responders, and we feed everybody who tries to protect us. And I was waiting after that video come out, and it, it came just like I knew it would. Um, how could you feed these people? Look what they're doing.
2: Well, but one thing I think you gotta remember, and I saw the same video in my, again, I don't know the whole story, but just what I've seen, my viewpoint is what yours is. But I think the other thing to keep in mind, even if that video is exactly what we think it is, just based upon what we know, even though we don't know the whole story, what you didn't see that day were the thousands of good heroic things that good policemen did. That's the one that's going to make the news. Right. And I don't care what the occupation is, whether you're talking about ministers, whether you're talking about doctors, lawyers, construction workers, you're going to have a certain percentage of bad apples, and law enforcement's no different.
1: Yeah. Oh, and, 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 you know, Bob, I read something that you wrote one day. Um, it was a couple years ago and you had written that you wouldn't try to convince somebody to get into law enforcement anymore. Um, if someone come to you, a loved one, a friend, just just somebody come to you and said, man, I'm thinking about being a police officer, you, you're at the point, and a lot of police officers across the country are in the same boat, man. You know, I... My good friend Lance Bond, he just retired a couple months back. He was only in for ten years. I say only ten years of putting up with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he was he was he was a uh, a warrants officer, and so he hunted the baddest of the bad. And, and when the detectives come in, Aaron, and and say, you know, we think this is the guy. We need you to go fetch him. Lance and his group of five other guys would go out and they would hunt a man and and so they're hunting people who are known murderers and -hmm. and everything and they know whenever they go to get this guy he's more than likely going to resist he doesn't want to get caught yeah and so it, it was a it was a big thing that lance went through and and lance had to kill a man and and lance dealt with dead babies and lance dealt with a bunch of dead bodies and lance started calling me in the middle of the night. And and Lance was haunted by the demons of him protecting a, and serving a community. And I don't want to ev- even think that most people don't like them. There's, there's a very small percentage of people that are against law enforcement. And most of the time, they're criminals themselves. Mm-hmm. They've done something in their past where they felt like they should have got away with it. And they were arrested for it. Yeah.
2: Well, I think there's a certain uh, police and lawyers have one thing in common: people despise them until they need one. Yeah. And when they need one, they're the greatest things since sliced bread. Yeah. But when they don't need one, they're a pain in the neck. <laughs> All
1: right. So let's ask this: So you went to the University of Arkansas. What did you study?
2: Uh, I was always envious of the guy who was 14, 15, 16 years old and knew right off, when I grow up, I want to be a fill-in-the-blank. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a clue. So I determined my major my junior year. I ended up My degree ended up being in business management, though I didn't know anything about business or have any intention to go into business. I had a friend who... I'm uh, going to disagree with that.
0: <laughs> Do what? I said,
2: I'm going to disagree oh, okay. with that. I had a friend who wanted to do all to law- your,
0: your previous ventures you had.
2: I had a friend who wanted to go to law school. He said, let's go take the law school admissions test. And I said, well, that's a waste of time. I said, number one, I don't want to go. I don't want to be a lawyer. But number two, back then to get in law school, it was your grade point multiplied by 200 plus your law school admissions test. I had a mediocre grade point. I think it was like a two six seven or two seven, something like that. Not enough good get in law school but Do you blame that on Quail or or I blame that on I just didn't pay enough attention. <laughs> I, I blame that on having too much fun. <laughs> yeah. But at any rate, uh but I agreed to go take with him Just so what else have I got to do? Well, I screwed up and apparently did really well on it and they were stupid enough to let me in law school. Mm. So I tried that for a little while and it became real obvious to me this ain't my cup of tea. So I left law school and uh bounced around here there and jobs one way and you know different things and uh i was living in Fayetteville at that time and i had a friend who was an undercover narcotics agent for the state police and they were working this area up here and uh they got a per diem i think i'm, I'm thinking it was like 25 bucks a day to live on when they were you know out of town we had no house we lived in it was an old shack but but uh it dawned on them that they could stay in that shack with us, and we use that twenty-five bucks a day for fun stuff. I got mm-hmm. you. And they were uh, things were not as well regulated back then, so I got going on drug buys with them and doing stuff. And I said, you know, that that kind of sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another, and as they say, the rest is history.
1: So, how long were you a state trooper? Thirty-three years. Thirty-three. That's years. a long time. And we Aaron, appreciate you I, your service. You know. Th- State troopers are kinda they're they're different. Well keep, so, you know, keep
2: in mind when you think of state <laughs> trooper you're thinking being in uniform. I was in uniform for the first sixteen years and then I was in the criminal division the last seventeen, so plain clothes the last seventeen. I got you.
1: Mm, so yeah. for the first sixteen you I were in,
2: on I was in uniform,
1: yeah. So you were on patrol sitting on the side of the road all by yourself.
2: For part of that, yeah. There I had some other assignments I had uh some administrative public information in the middle of that and but no, the in the early days i worked uh by my choice straight midnight shift in little rock hmm. Oof. and the year was 76 started starting in 76
1: rough times in little rock
2: you know i guess it was but i was uh young and stupid enough to think i was 10 feet tall and bulletproof and we, we had a blast yeah thought we did anyway <laughs>
1: So, most of the time, whenever there's an incident, uh, state police is always going to be in charge. Like, when you guys show up, right? Well,
2: in Little Rock, it was a little different because you had two major interstates that run through there. I-40 and I-30, you know, connecting Little Rock. And none of the other agencies work the interstate at all. But what you also had to keep in mind with two major interstates coming through Little Rock... It was almost like, and I've never been to Vegas, but it's like they say Vegas is a town that never sleeps. Well, mm-hmm. those interstates never sleep. There's as much going through there at 3 o'clock in the morning as there is at, you know, 10 o'clock in the evening.
1: Huh. So, trafficking drugs even back then? Everything. Yeah, I'm not smoking. Well, I, mean,
2: I guess there yeah, were drugs and traffic and, and wanted persons and, you know, you name it.
1: Coming out of Texas. Well, had-
2: just everywhere. I mean, you know, you've got interstate. You got, you know, Interstate forty connects the east and the west and interstate thirty connects the south and the north and they all come right together in Little Rock.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, and lot the other of, thing. That,
2: the other thing that people I don't think we're aware of, or maybe not, and I don't know what it is now, I've been out of it a good while, but they think, you know, Pulaski County is a pretty good sized place and you got a lot of miles of stuff. Well, on midnight shift, we worked ten hour shifts back then. Midnight shift there were a grand total of four troopers assigned to it. Now, keep in mind, everybody got two days off. People got sick. People got vacations. A typical night, you'd have two, and there have been Saturday nights that I was the only trooper for all of Pulaski County.
1: Mm-hmm. So, a rough guess on square miles.
2: Oh, gosh, nobody knows. I mean, I, somebody knows. I don't know, but it's a... Uh, uh, hundreds you're probably you know lots of miles of interstate and people talk about having backups well there's no backups i mean mm-hmm. you know I, I guess if you got the other thing back then we didn't have the radio contact we've got now at least even in little rock 50 percent of the places we were we had no radio contact you were just on your own oh man and it was only later that they upgraded the radio system where you had radio contact But like i say back in the early days most of the places you didn't have any radio contact. But even if you had had radio contact and if you'd call for backup, backup's 20 or 30 miles away. Yeah.
0: So, you know, anything's going to happen has already happened. So it's a good thing you were a free range child, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, or, or lucky. Somebody, yeah.
2: was, somebody was looking down on me, I think.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: that, that same scenario is still all over the country. When you get into Texas, when you get into Montana, when you get into these vast open stretches, Kansas. Mm-hmm. But probably the, the example that people see the most is like Alaska. Mm-hmm. And you have so many villages, small towns, communities that have zero law enforcement. Right. And so the only chance you have of getting help is calling somebody who may be literally 80, 100 miles away or, or farther, they may have to fly in. Sheesh. And well, it, and it was it
2: rarely occurred, but the backup that we really had—that I think people didn't understand. People always thought that state troopers and truckers were were enemies, you know, uh, for all the stuff you've heard. From Watching convoy. Yeah, but it was just the opposite. We had that was back when CB radios were a big thing, and working midnights. You'd have a lot of truckers drove at night. You'd have a trucker that came through Little Rock maybe two or three times a week, and he came through. We got to be friends with him on the radio. You know, we knew each mm-hmm. other's call handle. And they'd call, but if somebody got in trouble, the first person that was going to be there to help you was those truck drivers. Really? Yeah, they were. I mean, they were. They were. They were our friends.
1: They were not enemies. Was that on identifying vehicles and on always-
2: everything? If you'd have gotten a, a tussle, the first person that was going to pull over was going to be a truck driver. Yeah. Uh, truck drivers hated DWIs because obviously it was, you know, a hazard to them. If a truck driver got behind one that was all over the road, they had him captured before you ever got there. What they would do is they would call you on the CB if they were close enough, tell you what they had, and, you know, maybe you're 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 miles away. time you caught up to them, they had him boxed in. They had a truck in the mm-hmm. front, truck alongside, and truck behind him running 40 miles an hour on the interstate. Wow. Yeah, saying. so the wow. truck truck drivers, we got along
0: great with truck drivers. Is thats that, is that um – by the time you were out of law enforcement, was that kind of this the same workings going on, or has that changed? You quite know, a I bit? don't
2: know because keep in mind, at at about year seventeen, I went. Yeah. I was no longer. Kind of s- uh, I was doing criminal stuff. Yeah. Well, I wasn't doing criminal stuff, but anyway, you get my drift.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 so.
1: so. You're 17 and you're doing criminal stuff. Are you doing investigations at that point? Doing invest,
2: Well, for, for 10 years of it, I was doing nothing but uh, serious child sexual and physical abuse cases.
1: Mm. Um, so you were doing child sex crime? Child
2: sex crimes and child physical abuse. We unfortunately worked uh, uh, too many homicides of small children.
1: So... One of my dear friends, Barb Shrum, her husband, J.D. Shrum, was a lawman in Bella Vista. Uh, Barb, she was a, a child crimes detective. And, you know, what's interesting about Barb is nowadays on your cell phone, you can click on Benton County and it'll show you all the sex offenders, you know, where they live. And then you can click on that icon and it'll give you a name. And one night we were over here having some drinks and eating some food. And I decided I'd play a game with Barb, and I could click on those icons and say a person's name, and she would tell me what their crime was. I mean, she, she memorized all of these people, and, and she could recognize their face. And so if she was at a park where oh, wow. a sex offender couldn't be, and seen this person, she'd call them in. Um, she she worked some of the most disturbing child crime cases in this county that we
0: live in uh, multiple times. So, back in the 70s when you were, or probably 80s at that point when you switched over to uh, investigating and everything? Uh, 92. 92. So, I mean, from what you see or hear about today, is the the rate of trafficking increased, do you think, or?
2: Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know. I, I have no idea. And we really didn't work. I say we didn't work. I was not aware that uh, or we weren't involved in trafficking cases. Generally, our cases were some small child that stepdaddy or next-door neighbor or somebody was sexually molesting. Or we would have one where uh, uh, some boyfriend threw a child against the wall and the child died, you know, yep, that, that yep. sort of stuff. It wasn't, wasn't trafficking cases. And mm-hmm. while they talk about the registered sex offenders and all that, and I'm sure that's a legitimate thing, but, uh, I don't know that, at least in my case, that we ever worked a case, that I ever worked a case in which the guy was a repeat, a repeat, it was the first,
1: mm-hmm. no, I won't say his first time, but first time to be caught. Can... All right. So let's let me ask you a question, here. So,
0: can those people be rehabilitated? Uh, that might not be a question for me. I mean, if he's got, if he's not seeing reoccurrences, well, that doesn't. That I, just means that
1: they hadn't got caught. Yeah. There's, I, there's. Well,
0: most of what you read will say
2: to your your question will say no. No. But right. now, whether that's accurate or not, I have no way of knowing.
0: Yeah. That's a tough question, I don't know no answers from Aaron yeah, I don't,
2: but it's like I think it's like with any other offense, whatever the offense may be. I won't say nobody, but rarely do people get caught the first time mm-hmm. yeah. whatever the whatever the crime is, you've been doing it for years before you finally got
3: caught
1: right you know so i I'm curious on this deal because he, religion plays a lot into legal age of when a a girl is a woman mm-hmm. or when a boy is a man. And here's
2: the other scary part that differs from state to state,
1: right? It, it differs from state to state and it absolutely differs from country to country. Mm-hmm. And so with the United States being the melting pot and people coming from all over the world, uh, you may have some middle Eastern country where 12 years old is good to go. And, that's no shit. That's legit mm-hmm. deal. Twelve years old is good to go. It's actually from the first time that a, a a girl has a period, right? Right. That's at the point that they're legal to be married. And it's not just those countries. I mean you could you could look at the Amish and a bunch of mm-hmm. a bunch of religions have the same hell the Mormon religion, right? Mhm. Um so it's one of those deals to where we we stamp a piece of paper and say that 18 or 17 or whatever it is is a legal age to for an adult to be with what they presume is now an adult Mm -hmm. Um, so i could see where for a foreigner where this would be a confusing deal they've they've migrated to the united states Uh, 12 years old was good to go back then and and now they're here, and we're telling them, no, you can't be with that little kid. And I think more and more in our country, we've always been a melting pot. That's, that's never ended. But, you know, if I'm driving through Kansas, I've got to obey Kansas laws. Mm-hmm. If I go fishing in Alaska, I've got to obey the laws of, of the game and fish in Alaska. This can be a confusing deal. W- we were founded as a country of multiple states right and you if you didn't dig it in one state you could go to another one mm-hmm. and maybe that was where you were supposed to be and as we move forward and lord i don't want to say that in any way child sex crimes is is a good deal but i'm just saying as a general rule we are being uh regulated as as a nation and not by by states mm-hmm. and that's what's so you know, d- maybe it's maybe it's Maybe it's good in a way, but at that point you're no longer the United States. You're just a United State, and and uh,
0: I don't think that's the way to to answer your own question. Can do you think that offenders can be rehabilitated? I Do not. I you don't hear of many recovering sex offenders or child abuse cases. I, but but here's
2: I, the here's the other thing. If you go if you go into a high school today. And you walk in there uh, and 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 hand out a test to either all of the high school juniors and senior boys or even junior senior girls and ask them the question, what is the age of consent in Arkansas? I'd be surprised if 25% knew the answer to that.
0: Guesses, Joe? The age of consent?
1: Yeah, at what age couldn't they legally seven is it 17 i was gonna say 16 i don't know what it is now
2: i mean back when when i was there it was uh 14 or 15 i can't remember what it was but it changed but the legislature would change it periodically Mm -hmm. but the problem is or one of the problems i don't think we ever did much to educate the kids so that they knew well what
1: let me ask you this bob what law is broadcasted i mean here's the deal Our legislators that's their job is to provide law, right? Mm-hmm. And so they kind of feel like they didn't do anything unless they put a new law on the books. And or tweak an old law. Right. Yep. And, and very seldom do they take a law off the books. So we're, we're a state, we're a nation, we're a county, a city, whatever, of just compounded laws. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, sometimes it's funny to dig through and read
0: you know, where it's illegal to bring a buffalo in the bar. Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know in Kansas you cannot walk um, in front of the state capitol with a D headed chicken. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Less important chicken. stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think and in, what
2: they do is when those laws are no longer relevant, when people aren't walking on whatever the reason for not being able to take a big <laughs> head of chicken, but, but when, when they when they finally decide that's no longer a problem, they don't bother to go in and repeal that law. They just quit enforcing it. Right. But it's right. still on the books, technically.
1: Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's one here in Arkansas where if you find a hog, the law states that you can take the hog down to the county square. And you stake the hog in the county square. And if no one claims this hog in three days, well, then it's your hog. It's your hog. (laughs) And... For, for twenty years, man, I've been wanting to go buy a pig, <laughs> go stake it in the water, stake it down there <laughs> on that pretty grass amongst all the flowers, sit in a lawn chair with a bucket of cold beer, and just wait for someone to say, "That's my damn hog, man," <laughs> and I'd give it to him by that point because <laughs> I'd have already got my point. You'd right already there. had your fun out of it, yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's like it's illegal. I think it's uh, it's it's illegal to piss maybe in the road but I think you could shit in the road it's one of those uh, vice versa whatever it is but so the question was do I think that how we got de-headed chickens uh, do I think that a sex offender can be rehabilitated I I do not and yeah. I just think that it's uh, I I think for one thing I think it breeds additional like I think it's one of those deals to where when someone s- someone has that done to him at a young age, I I think it changes them mentally in, in a way. Mm-hmm. I think that it's 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 an epidemic of sorts that that keeps on going. And uh, you know, I love those stories where a kid has had just real rough childhood and he becomes prosperous. Mm-hmm. and And I think that we should we should do more to showcase that and Bob, I'll tell you this. So we were in, um, we were in, uh, what's the call it? The the dang shitty town over there, (laughs) Helena. (laughs) 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 All right. So we were over Helena West Helena. We were doing one of our steaks for sheepdogs Mm -hmm. dinner. Um, a young detective he was gunned down killed left behind his son who was like nine there was no one to take care of the boy so his partner took possession of the boy and his partner had a nine-year-old son as well and and this Helena Arkansas is the fastest decline in population in the United States of people went from like 30,000 people maybe in 2000 to currently like 13,000 people in 2022 wow Uh -uh. and it's got the most arson and everything not a lot of good going on Mm -mm. there is you get you gotta look for it so I, i was looking at this little boy and uh i thought to myself man that kid ain't got a chance in hell you know and i thought about my kids and and i thought about the opportunities and this ain't no white privilege none of this deal it's the environment you're in, regardless of race, regardless of whatever. If you can turn shitty being in a real good family, that's that's possible. The odds are against it, mm-hmm. and unless you're Joe Biden's son. <laughs> <But> <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say he was there was real good going on there? Well, yeah. <coughs> Just didn't even think about yeah. it. You're right, Aaron. But these kids are growing up in an area to where they're shootings, they're burning down places, they're selling dope, they're doing all of this stuff, day in and day out. And there's no good mentors to Mm. show them the right direction. And, Bob, multiple times on this show, we've talked about the fact that if, if, uh, if the bad kids had the opportunity to be around a real man for just a short period of time, Mm-hmm. They, they may fight it at first because it, it'd be something odd to them. But the outdoors, the the hunting, the fishing, the working with the horses, the doing all that, just being around an, uh, a a real man mm. is uh, is one of the things that could change these people. And I'm sure with all of the the stuff that you've seen in your years of law enforcement, you've probably seen where a lot of these kids just needed a man
2: well some of them you know that there was no man in their life and and mom was doing the best she could but she was working two jobs to try and you know try and keep the the heat turned on mm-hmm. and uh bless her heart from the time they were little kids they were free range whether they wanted to be or not
1: right,
0: right. just yeah. like a little unsupported yeah well
1: it, and same deal you're gonna they're hanging out with kids that either by choice or by uh, by situation mm-hmm. they so had they had to rob and steal and sell dope and do all this stuff and you know have you ever seen a dead person on the side of the road Aaron? i have not okay so they start seeing they start seeing that stuff and it, i would have to say that a kid's gonna think it's scary or they're gonna stare at it and try to figure it out shit i think it's scary Well, I mean, it's just one of those deals to where, you know, if you think about, like, these foreign countries that are constantly under war and, like, right now you're watching this deal with Russia and whatever, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the wheat belt, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) you watch it, and, man, shit's, the mall gets blown up, uh, missiles are flying in, the... All the, I mean, people are getting killed left and right, and then you watch whenever the very few times they showed on TV, they're just easing down the road, going to get some apples mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's one of those things where Americans have never, short of these inner city kids, inner city kids have been in a war zone, man. Chicago's a damn war zone. Detroit was a war zone. Little Rock was a war zone.
2: Well, they've been in these war zones, and the, 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 part about it uh, maybe they're uh, if it's a single mom household or maybe even if they're two parents even if those parents wanted to move those kids out of a war zone and get them someplace safe they don't have the means to do that they can't afford to they're i mean they're just working two jobs trying to trying to stay afloat they don't have the money to pack up and move to pick a spot
1: well here's where this is ironic so this thing in helena that we did I talked to the fire chief and the police chief, and I says, man, is it hard to get people to work down here? He says, oh, yeah. He says, once we get them trained, they move. They try to get away. Mm. And I said, well, where do they go? He said Pine Bluff, which is another shithole. Yeah. Oh. You know, I mean, used to not be. I bet you when you back in the 70s. Oh, it was a popular
2: place. Yeah. Pine
1: Bluff was a, was a good place. You know, yeah. it was a place where people actually wanted to go to. Mm-hmm and uh and we've cooked in pine bluff um it it has to get better if you think about a big city any of them there comes a point when the wealth moves away from one area and the poverty moves into that area and so maybe when the wealth had it the crime was low they move out because the buildings are old or whatever or they want i mean you're seeing it right where we live there's 71 business and then there's pinnacle mm-hmm. pinnacle used to be on 71 business so now the wealth has moved over here that stuff declined There was migrants and ethnical different groups who would buy that cheaper real estate and then you get to the point to where the wealth says i'm gonna go back and buy that stuff and And make it fancy so yuppies will come to it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And it's happened in every one of these cities. But the moral of of this whole pitch that I'm doing right now is that I thought that that little boy didn't have a chance. And I thought that his future was sooner or later he was going to get involved in a crime. Because the dominant factors in his life was that's how we act. Mm -hmm. That's what's cool. When Bob grew up, Bob was told daily what right and wrong was, whether it was through the Bible or whether it was just through being raised, you know, how to talk to adults, how to work for what you're going to get. I don't think our school system's enforcing that deal. I I think everything around our youth right now is what can we get, not how can we get it and what does it take to get it what do you think bob
2: well i
1: i don't have the answers if i did
2: uh, i'd be living in one of those houses in pinnacle i guess <laughs> but the uh um, so much has changed i mean i go back and i'm not in in any way besmirching single parent households people do the best they can but i think back to my youth I didn't know any kids that lived in single-parent households. They both had a mom. They had a dad. Uh, what was different back then, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it was different. The standard thing was dad went to work. Mom stayed home, took care of the kids when they were little. Supper was fixed when they got home from school. The family sat down and ate together.
1: See, I wonder about what you just said, though, because you're, we're coming right out of World War II. We'd mm-hmm. lost millions of americans in world war ii millions of male americans now i understand that most of them were young and weren't married but there was a lot of dads killed during that time
2: oh absolutely
1: and so that meant there was widow women with kids now did they those kids seemed to turn out oh they
2: did they did fine i'm sure And uh, like I say, with the World War II, both of my parents were in World War II. In fact, they were married. They met on board a Navy ship. Mom was in the WACS, the Women's Army Corps. Back then, women couldn't join the regular Army, Mm -hmm. so she was in the WACS, And Dad was a Navy gunner, and they met on board a a Navy ship and were were married on a Navy ship. And back then, if you uh, recall, you didn't sign up for two years or three years. When you enlisted or were drafted, it was for the duration of the war. That may be a year. That may be 50 years. You didn't know. Yeah. You were there. So they got married on board that Navy ship, and then, uh, you know, raised raised a family. But the whole the whole thing was so different back then. I remember when I first started driving, uh, the number one rule that both of my parents and in me. And back then, hitchhiking was common. You know, I've done it myself, and know a lot of people did. But the one thing was instilled in me: the one thing you better not ever do. Don't you ever pass up a serviceman hitchhiking, because back then you had a lot of servicemen that were in. We well had coming out of Millington, Tennessee, and first places like that, and they would hitchhike back home for their their when they had to leave, mm-hmm. and that was the ironclad rule: don't you ever pass up mm-hmm. a, a a person in uniform hitchhiking, because people hitchhike back then. It was yeah. just a such a total different era. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as to why why we've gotten to where we are now versus then, there were more consequences. I think back then, if 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 I acted up, not only did I have to worry about mom and dad, the neighbors were going to get on. Well, we didn't mm-hmm. have any neighbors, but the people we knew were going to, you know, they were going to join you. You didn't have just two parents; you had a community. Yeah,
0: so, I I think there's a there's a lot of um, influence in the wrong direction in some of these tougher places to live, such as Chicago and stuff, one of the most disturbing videos that I've seen recently um, was a video of a uh, a young young black kid that was maybe three and he was out on the street corner with his family and there were some cops out there and uh, I'm not sure where he was located it was definitely in the United States, but that little kid was just treating those cops with no respect yelling at him. What but that's all he would ever you, heard. Exactly. And and I, I think some of that negative influence is Oh yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to go with what you said and I'm going to go with what
1: Bob said. In my opinion, what's changed is community. And and there's hmm, there's neighbors within a half a mile where we're sitting right now that I don't even know. And uh I met one today on my way home. I, he always has a barbecue pit outside. And I swung in there today and I tried to change his flavor profile for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, tried, I, I, I gave I gave him some seasoning and a bottle of sauce and I said, "Man, you you got to start using this if you're gonna be my neighbor." But um, I, what Bob said was, "Is he had his mom and dad to worry about and he had the people around him." Mm-hmm. I I think that's how it's supposed to be. It's very tribal in, in that way. It's it's the thing that got humans to the point to not so far, not so long ago, mm-hmm. was the dependence on the tribe. There was certain people who were warriors. There were certain people who were hunters. There were certain people who built baskets and tents. And mm-hmm. everybody had a role in that community. And if you went to go jacking with that role, well, there's going to be hell to pay. Mm-hmm. And not only to you, but to your family.
2: Well, and that went back to—I mean, not not going back that far, but when I was a kid, that went back to the schools. The first four or five four years of my schooling, I went to a two-room schoolhouse that had six grades in it. In one room was first, second, and third grade, with only one teacher. There was two rows of first, two rows of second, two rows of third, and the other room was the same thing, except fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. If you got in trouble at school, which Believe it or not, I didn't. I don't know. I guess it just didn't catch me often enough. But if you got in trouble at school, there was never a question of what did that teacher do wrong when I got home. It was what did you do wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, the teachers knew that, you know, that the parents were going to back them up. And I don't know that that's necessarily always the case now.
1: So were you bullied?
0: Never. (laughs) Never? Never. Ah. Were you bullied, Aaron? Uh, what? I mean, I mean, I know you're a stud, and, and getting in fights and different stuff. But and keep in mind, clicks that, d- would move it, around, and but. I'm
2: not saying, but I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not putting down bullying. I know that exists and it's a terrible problem. But back in our day, if two kids were getting somebody was bullying somebody on the playground, before it was over, somebody got punched in the nose.
0: Yeah, that's where I was.
2: And. Going, the teachers either saw it or at least knew it and didn't do anything about it. They just said, okay, they'll work it out. They got punched and the the next day those two kids were playing together.
0: Yeah, yeah. right. I, that's, I got in fights with my best friend. <laughs> and now, <laughs> now if that happened,
2: the, the kid that, got, that did the punching would probably be expelled. Yeah, Law yeah. enforcement would be called. I mean, yeah. you know, they, we don't allow them to kind of work out their problems.
1: So we don't allow them to figure out social issues as kids. Mm-hmm. they're dependent upon someone else handling their social issue mm-hmm. they gotta go see somebody to mm-hmm. work out what
0: every other animal works out all by itself yeah I'm, so I've my son just started school he's in kindergarten and uh, first week was last week and it was a little rough And he just turned 6 so he's the oldest kid in his class and uh, I've given him kind of 3 3 Things to concentrate on throughout his day, and that is, um, that is, have the most fun, and have get earn the respect of your teachers, and no bullies, and that means he's not gonna don't be a bully yourself, and don't allow other bullies, and and I know it's gonna happen, but I also I want him to be able to stand up for himself. And stand up for others that might be less fortunate that are pick on because there's honor kids oh, yeah. everywhere. They're just gonna do something to get a but reaction. But you know what? I I don't think that chain of command is is able to get built
1: unless you let kids sort it out. Now, Bob, when you go yep. up to when you go up to a a litter of of dogs, there's gonna be that fat one who's who's always on. I mean, that sucker is. It can roll over and push three other dogs off the <laughs> teeth. There's going to be that scrawny one who is just sitting there whimpering. And if it had any fight in it, it would work its way up to that tit and and get fed. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just dogs. Uh, you can see it in chickens, and they're dumb. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you can you can see it in everything. If you're Bob, for a long time, you, you
2: still feed the ducks. Yeah not as, not every day like i did but still periodically
1: so i would read these stories of bob feeding the ducks and and the ducks have a special meaning meaning to bob because of his son gus was was a duck hunter and and if bob wants to get in that he can but um, you recognize personalities in these ducks oh absolutely
2: they had there was uh, it varied from time to time cuz I don't know if an owl would come through at night and snatch one now and then, but there was generally about six ducks, and they—they they did. They had just totally their own personalities.
1: And so there was the bully duck.
2: Well, I don't. I mean, I didn't <laughs> see that aspect, but there was the one duck that always wanted to come up and eat out of your hand. The one duck that kind of stayed at the back of the pack, and the other duck that kind of pranced around like, "What do I need to do now?" And, you know, they—they—they yeah, they they had personalities.
1: Mm-hmm. And so they sorted shit out themselves. Mm-hmm. And. I think when we're talking about our kids, and, and you just can't have one kid who changes this whole deal. It's yeah. It's got to be the classroom mm-hmm. decides, or the education system decides, that this is the way it is. Boys, there's going to be some rambunctious, oh, yeah. there's going to be some little bad boys. Mm-hmm. And it might take two of the other boys to tell that boy this ain't how it's going to work out right. here. And if we depend from the time we get into society and society starts at school Mm -hmm. and before that you may, you may live on a farm and never seen another kid. Yeah. Then pow, one day you're amongst all these kids. It's really kind of a prison setup at at school. I mean, nowadays it is when I was a kid, it it wasn't so much like that, but you know, you're told what time you're going to go here, what time you're going to eat, what time you're going to do this. It's, the military, Th- there's research that shows that our education system, the way it was designed today, was actually part of us building a strong military to fight in World War II is whenever this whole idea of how we're educated now, it was to go ahead and get people ready to understand that there's, this is the chain of command. This is the sound that you'll hear to go do this. This is how I'm going to educate you. I mean, you could think it was to teach people how to read and write and do all that. It was. But it was also our government's the one who's funding the deal. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a black helicopter conspiracy theory. This is just saying if you're going to train somebody, it's best to train them when they're young. Mm -hmm. And give them, this is how you're going to live your whole damn life is by these standards. Now, if that's the case... And we had a guest on here a couple of weeks ago who was telling us about, you know, there's, there's kids now right here in this part of the country who go to school thinking they're, they're, they're a cat. <laughs> and they get, to, they get special privilege because they're not a kid, they're a cat. Now, what the hell happens to this person in real life? First of all, y- if you want to talk about a way to ruin a person's life, allow them to be a cat their whole damn life. <laughs> Um, I don't know how long a cat lives.
2: <laughs> but. Well, but, and and you talk about going back to the bullying thing. It's like most problems in life. There's not one answer for every case. You know, we talk about, or, or my viewpoint that you know sometimes you let kids work it out themselves. But the schools sometimes do have to step in because, number one, mom and dad's not there. They don't see what's going on all the time. And you may have that one kid who, for whatever reason, just can't work it out himself. He's uh, maybe not that assertive, whatever. So there needs to be that avenue where he can go to the teacher and say, I'm having a problem. And the teacher can cause whatever level of intervention needs to happen to protect that kid. Cause, you know, uh, Most problems have more than one solution.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's kind of where we get stuck, thinking that this is the fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of odd to me that on that most problems have more than one solution. That we say this is how your cholesterol is supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> like you've got to be this number, and there's people who that number is perfectly healthy. There's people where that number is critical that they you know do something different. I think we standardize how people are like where the seat belt is in your vehicle they come up with that's the perfect elevation for a seat belt one size fits all there's some fat son (laughs) bitches to where that seat belt is more of a hassle than it is good Mm -hmm. and chances are Bob's probably seen fat guys fly out of cars before but if you're cutting down the highway at 70 and you weigh 400 pounds it's hard for you to get out of that windshield
2: yeah.
1: yeah, if if you're ninety pounds, flying down the road at seventy and hit something, it's pretty easy for you to ping pong around and <coughs> and work your way out of the vehicle.
2: Or you see, or you see the poor little old lady who's five feet tall and the seatbelts cutting, cutting across her neck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Or the gal with the big boobs. Mm. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of. <laughs> I've oh. seen a lot of those, but you know, we standardize society. And we're not a standard deal. We're humans. We we all have our own thoughts and our own theories. There's a sticker sitting there on the table, Bob, that you gave me a few years back. What is that sticker?
2: Well, that sticker, let me pick it up here and look at it. Not that I don't know what it is anyway. It says, long range shooter, one shot, one hit far away. And it shows a crosshair in the middle of it. It's probably, oh, I don't know. 8 or 12 inches, about probably 8 inches by 8 inches. I've got one on the back glass of my truck parked outside. I've had it on the several trucks I've had. But And am I a long-range shooter? No. But where that came from, we lost a son to cancer, and we spent several months at MD Anderson in Houston. And I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure or displeasure. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of MD Anderson. Hello. You're there. Okay. Anyway, M D. Anderson is uh pretty much a, a twenty four hour operation. They don't it's not like you think of hospitals that you know you go get tests between eight and five Monday through Friday. I mean you may have an appointment at three o'clock in the morning. So it was not unusual to have appointments. You may have an appointment at uh seven in the morning and another one at eight at night. Well, We were renting an apartment that was over an hour away in the woodlands, Texas. So you had all that time to kill. Well, we had a day, and he was a long-range shooter. We had a day that we were, we had, uh, I think, a 7.30 or 8 o'clock appointment and another one at 3.30 or 4 that afternoon. It's a lot of time to kill. They had two or three big cafeterias, so we'd just hang out in the cafeteria. So we sat in the cafeteria one day, and of course he was a computer guy, and he sat on the laptop, and he designed the sticker to go on his vehicle, because he was a long-range shooter. I mean, he was a 1,500-yard shooter. Mm. And, uh, and, of course, when he passed away, I had that on my vehicle, and I've had it on every vehicle since then. My wife's got it on her vehicle. So that's, uh, that's
1: the story behind that, that sticker. So, uh, Gus, your son who passed away. Right. How long did he suffer from cancer? Uh,
2: a little over a year, probably. What Something. kind was it? Uh, sarcoma which at the time I'd never heard of. I had a very good friend who was a medical doctor, and he said they were fairly rare. We went to uh, First Step when it was diagnosed here. We went to uh, Winthrop Rockefeller Cancer Center in Little Rock, which is a pretty good place, pretty good-sized place, and they said we rarely ever see sarcomas. Well, when we ended up going down to MD Anderson, they had an entire floor with nothing but sarcoma doctors. Really? And and I probably got my number. and my percentage is crazy here. But if I'm not mistaken, I think one of the doctors told me that there were 75 or 80 different types of identified sarcomas in Gus's, with an unidentified type.
1: Unid unidentified.
2: Right. Which I mean, it sarcoma. But it, it what it tells you is there was not a one size fits all fits all mm-hmm. uh, type of sarcoma in the way you treat it.
1: Mm. So they treated it with chemo. I imagine.
2: Uh, yeah, with chemo. Uh, then it, it started as a uh, uh, a tumor in the hip, and they took that out and did the radiation. Thought everything was clear, and then it turned out it had spread to the lungs. Wow.
1: You know, so many times, cancer is one of those deals. Aaron, you got family members with mm-hmm. cancer. Have you ever? Mm-hmm. It doesn't run in you. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's really a deal. Yeah, um, unfortunately. I, well, I think there could be environmental reasons to catch cancer there could be genetic reasons why you catch cancer i i, I don't want to think that there's anybody that's immune to cancer right. you just there's some people who's got a better shot at, at getting it because um, you'll meet a guy well i mean hell like bill walker over here smoking unfiltered cigarettes hand <laughs> rolled and rough son-ers. and he's you know he's getting by and he, and i've got a a family member who's damn near 90 chews a can of tobacco every day, you know, and still it it doesn't affect him. Mm-hmm. But cancer is one of those deals that could sneak up on anybody. And I don't know, Bob, it seems like once they put that knife in there and they they cut it, you know, they they take the cancer out. Man, I think it just rattles the old cancer cage and and. But they don't have any They don't have any choice. Yeah, but to do that, they can't just leave it there. Right, right, right. I wonder if, can't, like, how do you know you have cancer? Is well, I think
2: there are so many different types of cancer is the problem. Mm-hmm. It's not like cancer is one disease. You know, if you get, oh, I don't know, the measles. Uh, there, I say there's only one type of measles. Maybe Monkey pops. Mo- yeah, whatever. There's only one. But with cancer, there are so, so, so many different types of cancers mm-hmm. that they're... Uh, you know, and they've obviously made progress through the years on treating them. Uh, they're not there yet, obviously. It, you know, hopefully, I don't think it'll be in my lifetime. Maybe in, maybe in yours. Uh, hopefully, it will be like smallpox. They will have found the cure or the mm-hmm. prevention, and it'll be a thing that 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 your kids talk about. You know, I knew somebody that once had cancer. Yeah. You know, it's like if if we talk about somebody that had smallpox. I mean. Yeah. Right. Though of they're old enough, we've still got the little scar on our arm where we had the smallpox vaccine way right. back when so
1: I was come kind of, you know, did I talk about my chigger
0: medicine mm-hmm. on the last show? I don't believe so. Uh yeah. Did I? Yeah. I probably won't walk down that road again. But I think it was just us. I think it was the after show. Oh was
1: recap. It? So there's fixing to be a great big concert here in Bentonville. There's like a hundred bands, hippies and people you never heard of i ain't ever heard of them. um
2: <laughs> i guess it's because of my age most of the groups that everybody are buying tickets to go see i've never heard of well
1: I, <laughs> I'm, I'm i don't even have a clue how to say half these names it's, it's you gotta get creative these days well i mean oakridge book boys was kind of creative yeah but <laughs> the doors is gone <laughs> the beatles are gone merle haggard died <laughs> oh man that that hurt me yeah um uh, but anyways so they're estimating like 100,000 people going to come to town. They've got a great big grass runway, hay field. And right now on the news, one of the main topics is this monkeypox, mm-hmm. right? And I've seen pictures of what monkeypox looks like, and it resembles chigger bites in a lot of ways. Just
2: bigger than chigger bites or more protrusion. M-
1: maybe so. But you're going to have 100,000 people in a hay field in the Ozarks. <laughs> They're going to have chigger bites. <laughs> They're going to have chigger bites. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and Notre Dame's this deal. That in approximately one month from today, we are going to be the epicenter of monkeypox, And what it's going to be it's is a bites. shitload <laughs> of seed ticks and chigger bites. Yeah. So the entrepreneur in me says that we need to come up with some sort of salve. And we set us up a little booth down there, and we start selling them some Vaseline with maybe some ground-up hickory nuts or right, <laughs> right, right. in there. And it's all organic, no GMOs, mm-hmm. w- whatever you want to say. And we just start selling them these little uh, hippie packs of this salve for like 10 bucks a pop, Aaron. <laughs> or if
2: you want to get in, if you want to get out in front of it, I had two summers when I was in college. I got a job working on the pipeline. We didn't do much, but that was my job, and it paid way more than anything else I could find to do. But what the old heads that did that taught me, we kept a little small coffee can with holes poked in the top, and we would fill it half full of sulfur, which was dirt cheap, and half full of uh, baby powder or talcum powder. Shake it up. The only reason for the talcum powder was the smell and shake it along your legs and your socks and stuff. You would, you'd never get a tick or a
1: chigger. Hmm. Oh, anti-monkey pox. There I'm, you go. There's <laughs> our solution right there. I mean, we can get in front of Pfizer on and, this. And, and
2: sulfur used to be dirt cheap. I don't know what it is now, but it was cheap back then.
1: I'm sure we can find it. Yeah. That, there, <laughs> there might be some here within 100 yards. <laughs> um, all right, so I've got some some questions here. I read you were talking. You did a story just here very recently about Old Man Strong. <laughs> yeah, a true story, right? True, I mean,
2: true story. Let me. Uh, I'll set it up, and then you can ask your question. My son, who just turned forty, is a physical fitness. I won't say nutty, He's just very physically fit. He works out every day. He's got arms like. You know you can't mm-hmm. see what I'm doing, but big arm. He's the epitome of fitness. Well, the grandson who is now 13 is playing football and baseball. Well, he's called he's got into that, and so he works out, and he's very fit for a 13 year old kid. Well, I walked in the other day, and he was out there, and he had some single curl deals. I don't know what he had on, maybe 30 pounds or something. He was doing curls, and he was so proud of that. And so I walked over and just picked one of them up, and I curled it two or three times, and he says. Yeah, but that's not fair. You got old man strong. (laughs) Old
0: man strong. (laughs) It's so...
1: That's a real deal. Not only are old people got this strength, but they're tough. Mm -hmm. And the older I get, the more I understand how a guy Bob's age, my dad's age, any of these guys. Because there's shit that hurts, and you don't even know why. Mm -hmm. Like, there's... There's, and you kind of, your tolerance, because you you ever seen that old man walking and he's crouched over and, boy, just bent at the spine, maybe a foot above his butt, mm-hmm. his back is kind of yeah. bent. And, and he's still cutting around, you know, trying to keep up mm-hmm. with the wife or whatever. And you think, damn, boy, that old man is tough. And then you got the guy that's physically fit and uh athletic and he pulls a hamstring or does something working out and that dude's bedridden for you know he's on light duty for for a long time i do you think you just build a tolerance for for accepting uh,
2: pain? I think part of that and part of it is you You almost, I hate to use the term show out, but you sort of do. One of my favorite T-shirts I've got, and I didn't come up with this idea. It was obviously something I bought because I saw it and thought it was cool. It said the T-shirt reads, uh, blood clots, sweat dries, bones heal, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> you bet. And I think back to some of the experiences I had as a kid. I remember there was a like a second grandpa to me. In fact, he was close enough that uh, my my oldest son's middle name came from him. We were going fishing one day. I was probably 10 years old. And he reached down on the bottom of the boat, and there was a bunch of old trot line staging. And he just reached down there to dry his hands on it. And when he started to stand up, he just grunted. And, said, <clears throat> and just real calm, he said, Bob, would you hand me a pair of pliers out of that tackle box? And so I got a pair of pliers. Well, a big old catfish hook had gone through right through the middle of his finger, and came plumb out the bottom mm. of the fingernail. Mm. He clips that thing off and jerks that hook out of there. And I said, well, Lawrence, we got to get you to the doctor. And he says, we ain't going to the doctor. We're going fishing. Got I, said, again. I said, we can't go fishing. Look at your finger. He says, hey, what's the point in being tough if you can't show it? Well, yeah. you <laughs> and get, I've always remembered that. you got to
1: get that tit shot for something. <laughs> well,
2: and I was proud of my grandson. Uh, you may have read this. I'm, I think I put something about that on here. Within the last month, we went fishing. We've got a neighbor that's got about an acre and a half I've pond. i seeing that, him in that, that boat. That, that he lets us fish out there, and super good guy. But anyway, he caught a little old bass, pound and a half, two pounds, and when it flopped, the hook went through these, the meaty part of this finger, and he very calmly came up to where I was and said, Papa, can you help me get this hook out? Luckily, the barb had gone on in and came on out, so mm-hmm. that made it easier, and I had a pair of pliers, and I clipped it and jerked it out. He never once went or anything. He pulled it out. I had a Band-Aid in the truck. We wrapped a Band-Aid, and he went back fishing.
1: Perfect. Put some of that catfish slime on there, boy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He (laughs) he (laughs) bathed. We bathed that that day.
0: (laughs) That's
1: great. All right. I don't know if you said this, Bob, or if it's something I just wrote down, but nothing is perfect. And Okay. I know where I got this. This is a Bob story. This story is Bob, a state trooper, and had to. These state troopers, they get judged on their clothing, on their uniform. You know where I'm going, Bob? I know where you're going, yeah. So, you know, you think they're just sitting in that car talking to truck drivers, making sure lot losers are okay down, <laughs> down there in Memphis. And uh, so, Bob, tell us a story about when you got that brand new uniform
2: we uh back in the day and I don't know what they do now if anything but back in the day about once a week your sergeant that was your immediate supervisor would unexpectedly call you and say hey can you meet me at such and such location and he would inspect you and he'd check off you know the hat pants shirt boots belt I mean every night we shined all that stuff so Mm -hmm. we you know that was a big deal that it had to look sharp Anyway, I had bought a new uniform, brand spanking new, sent it to the cleaners, got it pressed. I'd had it on a grand total of about an hour. And my sergeant called and wanted to do an inspection on me. Well, uh, the inspections really didn't matter. I mean, they weren't going to change anything. It was just something they did.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. So he did the inspection, and he checks off. And I think you had four or five categories. You could be poor. And I guess if you ever got poor, maybe they'd do something. But you'd have poor, average, good, excellent. Well, on my uniform, he checked good on all of them, which was fine. But I asked him, uh, I said, well, sorry, that's fine. I said, that's, you know, no problem, but I'm just curious. You check good rather than excellent. And I said, this is a brand spanking new uniform. I've, it's been worn a grand total of one hour, and I only got good. What would it take to get excellent? And he says, excellent means there's no room for improvement, and there's always room for improvement.
1: Yep, I agree with so that. So we... We still get judged. Yep. In, at our company, and it—it's a one through five, and it's impossible to get a five. And when I say it's impossible, I've never missed a day of work, for unless it's paid time off. Mm-hmm. I've never. You ain't gonna find me doing it, and on attendance, I'll get a four. <laughs>
0: And
2: Have you ever asked, what could I do to get a five? You've
1: got to be Jesus Christ. Could you
2: show up twice in one day? or How does <laughs> so, that work?
1: <laughs> so, uh, so whenever I do these evaluations you on gotta, people. We, oh, okay, yeah. Like if I do an evaluation on a young man, he can be top of the line. And I'll tell him in advance. I'll say, boy, listen,
3: mm-hmm.
1: this is one through five scale. You're not going to get a five. Four is as high as you can go most likely you're going to get some threes mm-hmm. and by the looks of it you're probably going to get a couple twos well why can't i get a five
0: because you're not jesus yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and to that we have to in our company we have to grade ourselves and before Ooh. our supervisor grades us and i'm i'm the same way i'm critical i uh it's never i've never given myself five and i never will i just yeah. it's that's perfection and it can't be met, right? And uh, so I'm pretty critical of myself, and I went in for my evaluation. He's like, jeez, dude. He's like, why are you so rough on yourself? And uh, But, yeah, perfection it's not there.
1: All right. Well, Bob, what's our theory on electric cars?
2: Our theory or my theory? <laughs> well, I'm probably going to agree with you. <laughs> well, my, my, my theory is just is worth exactly what you paid for it. And I'm not a scientist. I'm not an, I guess we're all environmentalists to a certain extent. I can't help but think that while the electric cars may be a good idea, the technology is not there yet. Because I read these things online where somebody bought an electric car and they were going to take a trip that should have been a six hour trip just to try out mm-hmm. the electric car. Well, it took them nine hours because they had to stop and charge so many times. I read the things about the electric cars where they talk about uh, the, the the damage to the earth it takes to mine the lithium to make the batteries. Uh, it's interesting, you say that. I pulled into the parking of the airport. I'd go pick someone up at the airport this morning, and I pulled into the parking, and there's a sign, and I, I won't mention the, the the brand, but there's a brand of electric car they won't let in there because they've had some fires
1: out of them. Oh, yeah, and, and you so, can't put out that lithium fire. And so
2: they're they're banning those cars from going in there. I don't know if anybody's out there to actually check it. but <clears throat> And the other thing I wonder about on the electric cars is how do we get rid of the batteries once those cars are junked? I mean, when you finally wear your old car out or you wreck it or whatever, they crush it and do it. What do you do those batteries? Those are huge batteries. How do you get rid of those in terms of the environment? So I wonder about that, and the other thing I wonder about is when your battery finally goes dead, if you keep one long enough, from what I read, it's like a $15,000 deal to replace the battery. Well, if I've got a used car that I'm trying to sell you, but I'm selling it to you with the, you've got to be under the understanding that probably within a couple of years, you're going to have a $15,000 repair, you're probably not going to buy that car. Mm-hmm. And I could be wrong about all that stuff. The electric may be the route to go. I just, I'm I'm not, and the grid's not ready for it yet.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I'm just not convinced that the technology is ready for it yet. Maybe it is. I don't know.
1: No, I, I, I would say everything you said sounds good. First of all, from the mechanical side, I've never popped the hood on my truck and looked at the motor. The reason is, Bob, there ain't nothing there I can work on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. They, You know, used to, that was a big sales pitch. You drive by the car lot, all the hoods are up. You don't see that. Yeah. It's one of those things you don't even, <clears throat> re- you don't realize that that isn't a sales pitch anymore. Used to, hoods are up, people are walking there, and I don't know what the hell they were looking <laughs> at just to see what color the spark plug cords were or wires or whatever. Well, in our
2: in our younger days with the cars we had, most guys anyway, the, the, the basic things you had to be able to keep your car running, if you could change points and plugs and plug wires and change the oil, you were a mechanic. You had her made.
1: Yep. Well, you, you can't do that stuff anymore. That's, so that's why I've never popped popped the hook. Hell, Aaron, I'm I don't even know fan. where the
0: switch is at or the lever. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I've never looked at it. I'm not a fan of working on cars. Just so not a fan.
1: that being said, mechanically, I could care less if it's a motor or an engine. Because I'm not gonna work on that motor. I'm not gonna work on this engine. Now my old Suburban out there, I can, I can get it to run if 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 something goes bad. Right. Cheap parts, easily accessible. Everybody knows what a 350 does. Right. right. How how to work that deal. So from the modern cars, they're set up to where you can't work on them, and the mechanics don't even know how to work on them. They plug something in. Yeah. It tells them what they need to change out. They change out that part. It ain't their money, so they don't give a shit. They'll just keep changing parts out until that thing fires up, and then you drive thirty miles down the road. Check engine light comes back on, and they need your <laughs> truck for another week. You know, we're at the point now where a tailgate on a pickup truck, it locks. It's got mm-hmm. power going to it. It's a it's four to six thousand dollar. You talk about how expensive that battery is. The damn tailgate on a Chevy <laughs> is is that kind of money. So we were asking questions here, I don't know, five, six shows ago about whenever the Apollo went to the moon, they brought with them an electric beach buggy. You know, that... Mm-hmm. Now, you, you were watching all this stuff. Don't you think <laughs> that that's the most redneck shit ever that you, you go into the moon, and by God, when we get there, we're going to bring a beach buggy with electric batteries.
2: But at least they knew that beach buggy, that nobody was going to drive that thing every day for 10 years and put 200,000 miles on it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, see,
1: I see where you're at, but, you know, whenever we were discussing that, I said, I remember the first cordless drill that we had on a job site, and he'd, you'd get about 10, 15 screws drilled in, mm-hmm. and then you'd have to go over there, plug it in for a few hours. You can try to get everybody to make fun of you because why don't you just have an extension cord? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need this damn battery deal. They suck. Well, by,
2: by the same token, if you head out in that old suburban and you go from here, let's say you're going to go to Tulsa. If somewhere along the way you break down, there's a garage or mechanic somewhere along there that can get you going. You're right. But if you head out from here to Tulsa, or let's say you're going further now, you're going to go to Oklahoma City.
1: And you're
0: Tesla. And, and, and
2: that electric car, and it breaks down.
0: Or just who can who can, energy.
2: Who can fix it?
0: Yeah, and that's... you got to bring the guy out with the generator to <laughs> well, that's where out. I. Well, think. if it's power,
2: but it be, yeah, right. you know, things go wrong right. with cars other than that.
1: So, what are we going to do with the transmission mechanic? The, I mean, what's what's the timeline on this, Aaron? 2030, 20, 2035? 20, oh, I think 2030 is whenever they're supposed to eliminate gas-powered vehicles
0: being sold. So they say. I don't think that'll happen, but okay. I, I don't okay. think that, like you said, battery technology. And I, and I think even like people like Elon are saying the battery technology is just, this is about as good as it gets.
2: Well, if you go through a big city, which I know you do go into your uh, Stakes for Sheepdogs thing, we had gone to pick up a horse trailer somewhere down in Texas and came through Dallas, and that's been within the last year, came through Dallas not even during rush hour. And you got, what, eight or nine lanes that just oh. bumper-to-bumper traffic. Six well, bridges if, high. And if one of those cars runs out of gas, they can push it off to the side. They can, uh, somebody can bring five gallons of gas and get it going. But what do you do if one or more of those, if those were all electric and one or more of them, goes dead power-wise. What do you do?
0: You got bring out the generator. You got to pull the generator out of the back of your truck. So I think the dual energy deal
1: where you, you know, like Ford Lightning, their truck will, has gas powered. Now and that might work. Gas. Yeah, that would work. And then it switches, you know, it charges the batteries. You're not plugging this rig in. Mm-hmm. You're, you're basing it off of a gas generator. A lot of people probably wouldn't know this, but your locomotives, your big freight mm-hmm. ships, Mm-hmm. all of those are electric they when you see that big cargo ship that's locked up off the coast of california
2: but isn't it a big diesel engine producing it's, that electricity right.
1: exactly so yeah. this is why i'm saying this is this has been tested it it works so like a tugboat or a pushboat going up the river pushing 12 barges four wide up the mississippi river Via an electric motor that's powered by a diesel generator. So, if I was going to make the pitch, because ultimately you would be using half. Yeah, that makes sense. Of of the petroleum. Mm -hmm. But you're never, I can clearly state that you're never going to get away from any petroleum-based products. You need the plastic to go around the damn battery. Yeah, you need.
2: Well, anymore, you need plastic to make the fenders.
1: Yeah, you, you <laughs> need the bumpers. plastic for the dash. You need the plastic for the pa- or the petroleum for the paint. You need everything. I think if you break down what an electric vehicle is, you know, I like to ask those guys whenever they pull up in their Tesla, if they're burning coal or natural gas, right?
2: Yeah, batteries do not produce energy; they store <laughs> energy. <laughs> they store <laughs> energy. So
1: that's that's the deal. Let's see. <laughs> Do you have to be right? About what? So when I listen to people bitch and moan on TV, see, I judge these news channels like radio stations in your car. If you like country and western, Mm -hmm. you hit a button. That's all it plays. If you like rock and roll, you hit a button. That's all it plays. And so you're you're being fed what you want to hear. So when I hear someone say that they're against a CNN or they're against a Fox or whatever the news source is, all that is is a button on your radio that you Mm -hmm. push to listen to what you want to hear. And people would be wrong to think that this is a modern deal because right here we have the Democrat Gazette. There used to be the Republican Gazette was the name of a paper politics has used the news since the very beginning of this country and you only bought the paper of the one that you wanted to, mm-hmm. to read but going back in time back into the, the the
2: late 50s probably even early 60s you only had two, now you've got lord knows how many news organizations or they claim to be news organizations back then you only had the three networks and at least it seemed to me like, and maybe i have just, my naivety, but it seemed to me like that even though you take Walter Cronkite, for example, if you're old enough to remember him. I do. Walter Cronkite, I've read a little bit about him. He was a fairly liberal guy. But you would not know that from listening to his newscasts because he, it seemed to me anyway, and a lot of people I think, he reported down the middle. He didn't he didn't try to skew it one way or the other. He was just, and I think that's what people get so aggravated about the the. What we perceive as biased news now is that if you're uh, if you're conservative, you're listening to Fox. And if you're liberal, you're listening to CNN. But who do you listen to if you just want it down the middle? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the answer to that
0: question is.
1: Cooking up a story with Aaron and That's, Joe. There right. you go.
0: There you go. I, you're right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I think there's some... Luckily, um, one of the benefits of our current time is um, the alternatives with that is YouTube has sparked a there's starting to be a significant uh, amount of kind of down the middle the straight shooters that you can go to and you can trust that your news is i mean more or less unbiased i mean i think there's always going to be some biases but um more of the straight shooters kind of down the middle as you mentioned which i think is a is a huge benefit, like Breaking Points on YouTube. That's a, that's a good one that covers a lot of the same news talki- topics as you'll see. But well, that stuff's kinda, all good if it's not regulated. It, those, it's not. And this stuff is it's these not are regulated? All, these are independent shows. Okay, but just casting on YouTube. So, say, like, if uh, just
1: throwing something out there, say at one time there was a, a virus that happened in our country. And there was mixed reviews, whether you had to be four foot apart or six foot apart. If you could wear a terry cloth around your face or you had to wear uh, a, a paint sprayer mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there was all of this and you said. Man, you you don't have to be six foot apart. Is it still air on YouTube?
0: Yeah. They don't take none of that stuff off. I, it, I mean, I think they have the YouTube can, but I think it's becoming less and less on YouTube. Hmm. Check out some. Check out like Breaking Points. See. Let me know what you think. Yeah, I'll on look YouTube. At some Breaking. Well, I just think that the two yes. sides to every story. Yes, I, I see what you mean by the regulated, as far as the source or the whatever it's coming through. Um but I mean it, it's, it's definitely getting better as far as the openness. And what do you think, Bob?
2: Well, I've not listened to or listened to the breaking point thing, so I don't know. I just like I say, it's uh, if you watch the major and, and another thing that's happened, back in the old days, you had news at six o'clock. News again at 10 o'clock and news at noon. And he probably had, what, 15 minutes maybe of news in that, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And now you've got all these different news outlets that are trying to fill 24 hours of time. Yeah. And so they're making big issues of things they wouldn't have even mentioned. They got to fill that time. Then, they got to
1: fill that time. You know, it's kind of like a 14 day weather outlook. <laughs> yeah. but I would like to see the math on that, how many times that's action. All right. Let me tell you this: If you're in Death Valley, I could probably give you a good 45 <laughs> day weather outlook. If I'm on the Gulf Coast, or if I'm anywhere in the middle of, the, of America, to tell someone, you can say, "Yeah, it's going to be hot." Yeah. <laughs> but to tell some some bitch, you got a 14 percent chance of rain yeah. two Thursdays from now.
2: I <laughs> always like it when you look at the. It, I look at my weather on the phone. And if you look at Tuesday, Thursday, and you, you go down to the hours, you know, at 7 o'clock, you've got a 17% chance of rain. And at 8 o'clock, that drops to 16%. Mm-hmm. And then at 9 o'clock, it goes to 18%. Well, you know, if they said, okay, there's a slight chance of rain, I understand that. But what's the difference in 16% and 19%?
0: Marketing. So, I don't know. So, I, so those percentages, and you guys may know this. but It's coverage. It's coverage. It's based on what percentage of the area is going to get rainfall. Hmm. So it's not saying that there's a 16% chance that. So it's not rains the likelihood, get, it's coverage. It's okay. coverage. Yeah. So, like, 16% of your it, that area is going to get. I, I did rain. not know that. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like the secret menu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't know that, but
1: that's, that's the way that it is. It's just kind of the secret menu on. Mm-hmm. It, it's coverage deal. When I learned that, I was actually working in Mobile, Alabama, and the weatherman, that's how they stated the deal. Tomorrow there's going to be a 40% coverage of, of rain. Of rain. And they never said there's a 40% chance, which I guess that's kind of mm-hmm. apples to apples. Uh, Do you have to be right, Bob?
2: No. Because... Um, you know who's to say whether i'm right or not i mean i've got my opinion but that's all it is is my opinion mm-hmm.
1: i agree with you i think that right now the focus on so many people is their stance on politics or how to raise your kids or what sex you are or whatever the deal is i think they wake up with the thought that they've got to be right on this deal
2: well and with like with a lot of things uh the truth, or what, what the way it really is, is probably somewhere in between. You think that, by gosh, we should not allow this, and I think, well, you absolutely should. Well, probably the truth is somewhere in the middle where mm-hmm. you should do it with certain restrictions or something. Yeah, we you know, say that this It doesn't country, have to be either or.
1: We say this country is red on the right, blue on the left, and white in the middle. Mm-hmm. And there's a pile more of this <laughs> white than there is the red and the blue— I was I had to work all weekend and I was listening to a deal and I don't know what kind of sense this is us going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> but I was listening to a guy, he was kinda like I, I admire listening to Bob, right? Or reading Bob's words. One of the things this guy said was the flowering branches grow naturally, some short and some long. And and that was it. The flowering branches grow naturally, some short and some long. And I was trying to break down what this meant. Now, you can use this. This is one of those deals that you could tell a young whooper snapper. <laughs> <laughs> what do
0: you think that would mean, Aaron? I think... It's natural to be different. Yeah. To be right or to be wrong, or if that's the case, but... You're tall, I'm short. Yeah. It's natural to be or different. You,
1: or you might side with blue, or you might side with red. Mm-hmm. But the branch, the, 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 the thing that's holding up those two colors, it's actually the strong part. That would be that white, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got this little old branch coming off of one side of it and this little old branch off the other. But they're solely dependent on that one big one mm-hmm. that holds it all together. That's what I took out of it. Well, what's
2: the old Indian saying that, uh, and of course they've now they've co opted it into the red and blue thing, but it says, do we not realize that the left wing and the right wing are all part of the same bird? Yeah, yeah.
1: right.
0: Exactly. exactly.
1: I'm I'm interested in your wisdom here, Bob. The oak is an acorn's way. We'll call it acorn, okay? (laughs) The oak is an acorn's way of becoming another acorn.
0: What do you think that means, Aaron? The oak is an acorn's way. I mean, you're just... Producing more, producing more of your same kind. It's a life cycle. Yeah,
2: Li- that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Life cycle. You, you you start out as a child, and you grow up to, in our case, be a man. Mm-hmm. At which point, you will produce a child. Huh. Then he will do. That's the same. how that works. Then yeah. he'll do the same thing. That's how that works. That's what I read in the book. <laughs> <laughs> how about that one? Yeah.
1: That's a good one. All yeah. right. The chicken is one egg away of becoming others. Same story, right, as Acre.
0: The chicken is one egg away from becoming others? Mm-hmm. Hmm. You got it? Mm-mm.
1: Well so why did i write this stuff down okay so i wrote it down it's because basically one of our morals of this story that we tell every week is the importance of your question which you always ask what does it mean to be a man Mm -hmm. um we've got to provide a life cycle or there isn't any more of us right so the chicken is one egg away of becoming others if you're not laying them eggs there's no more chickens. Right. That's right, Bob. It's kind of, kind of important. Yeah. Kind of important, yeah. Well, and I watched a documentary a month ago on, you know, it was this question, what does it mean to be a woman? And none of the doctors or scientists or politicians wanted to say what it meant to be a woman.
2: I saw that, and I've I also seen, yeah. a, a, I have seen a, 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 I guess it's a meme saying that, 200 years from now, when they dig up your bones, all they will say is it was a male or a female.
1: Yep. Won't even tell you what color it is. So then, I, so I ask you a question. What do dinosaurs sound like? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so my whole life, they've been screeching. and How many times you've been sitting out there in your little flower bed and seen a lizard run by? Have you ever heard it? Hmm. They don't make a lot of noise, do they? No. No, you ever heard a lizard
0: or like iguanas? Are they, I mean, that's a. I think there's some hissing. Now alligators
2: there. make noise.
0: Yeah, kind it's of. They kind of chirping, grunt, kind of grunting, yeah. and
1: chirping, but none of them sound that damn scary. No. So I sat through this Jurassic <laughs> Park movie a couple of weeks ago because the family wanted to watch it. Absolute torture.
2: <laughs> well that goes back to have you ever been kidnapped yeah you have <laughs> <laughs> yeah to go see Jurassic Park. the damn volume at a movie theater is oh, so terrible. loud yeah
1: it's unbelievable and both of us will admit we're hard of hearing we we got hearing issues if it's that damn loud to a deaf guy yeah i can't imagine what a 10 year old's virgin ears yeah yeah must be going through at these why do you think
0: they do that, Aaron? I have no idea. It's too loud. Make hard. it
2: exciting, I guess. I don't know. Hell, it was annoying. It's just yeah, so loud. It's too loud. I like the old days when we went to the drive-in, and you had the little box that you hung on your window. Oh, and yeah. It had a volume button on it. You could determine your own volume. Yeah.
1: And then a little bit later, you could just put it on like 92.3 or something. Yeah, whatever. You <laughs> know, yeah. they just tore, they shut down the old Fayetteville drive-in this, this last weekend.
2: Okay, I didn't know they'd
1: shut it down. It was open for forty years, last drive-in in the state. Mm.
2: There yeah. used to be one in Searcy County, up by Marshall. Is it not still I, in operation?
1: The news stated that this Is was the, the last last, one? Okay. last drive. You ever been to, to a drive-in movie, Aaron? I haven't. No. Nope. Probably you probably will not be able to do so. Mm-hmm. And that,
2: as a kid, that was one of the most fun things we did. We had a drive-in where we lived, and uh, we, of course we had an old pickup truck, and we would put a mom and put. On a blanket or something in the back of it, she'd uh pop up a garbage bag full of popcorn. We'd go to the drive-in, five or six kids and the dog, back the truck in, and the drive-ins back then always always had little playgrounds down yep. front for the kids to play in until the movie started.
0: Mm.
2: And then we'd all sit there in the back of the truck until we went to sleep, laying on the blanket in the back of the truck. This watching
0: is ringing the movie. a bell. Down I there. think I have. I think I was really young though, like two, three. But there used to be one in Pittsburgh a long time ago. And I, I remember driving by it after it was closed down. And I think I had been, but I was They turned into swap meets.
1: Yeah. E- yeah. Usually whenever a drive-in goes out, it becomes a flea market on mm-hmm. Saturdays or something mm-hmm. like that.
2: And what I seem to recall back where, where I grew up, we had one drive-in and one regular theater. And when they got a movie in... That movie didn't run for a weekend; it ran for a month and a half, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so if you wanted to go you know two weeks in a row, you got to see the same mm-hmm. movie again,
0: yeah, Bob, what does it take to be a man?
2: <sighs> well, that's a good question uh integrity I mean when I think of what does it take to be a man, I'm thinking what does it take to be a male role model? to those looking up to you and whether we admit it or not i don't care who you are or what you do everybody's a role model whether you're trying to be or not mm-hmm. uh, uh whether you've got kids or not you're a role model to somebody and so i think integrity doing the right thing doing whatever you do if that child finds out you did it you're not ashamed of it
1: mm-hmm. hmm. that's a weird answer ain't it eh? yeah it's unique that's the same answer we get from every single man we interview. Really?
0: It's I can't <laughs> wait to interview a woman. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it. it yeah, I, yeah. It's consistent. It's the integrity. It's the responsibilities. It's, 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 it's the it's, same answer. It's that that family aspect. It's.
1: Yeah. It's so, consistent. All right. Another quote I wrote down: I'd rather have a faithful wife than a bad cook.
2: <laughs> that sounds like something from the, the 1800s. Did you did you come up with
3: that? <laughs> no, I, mean,
1: I had to slow it down so I could write. I'd rather have a
0: faithful wife than a bad cook. Yeah. So what does that mean, Aaron? I'd rather have a good wife than... It's more important to have a faithful wife than somebody that can put food on the table, I guess. It says, than a bad cook. I'd
1: rather have a faithful wife... Than a bad cook. So is a good cook okay. not faithful? No.
2: That sounds <laughs> like somebody that when they wrote that, or when they <laughs> when they came up with that quote, put the wrong verb
0: in there. <laughs> yeah. What's that mean to you, Joe? Uh, hell, that's why I brought it to you, Aaron. I <laughs> thought maybe you had it. I should have a faithful wife. All right, so and, and you
2: can dig that a little deeper okay. when you, when you use the term "faithful wife," uh, some people may view that as dealing with intimate things, but there's a lot of stuff that that defines being faithful other than
1: intimacies. How important we haven't talked mm-hmm. about your wife, okay How important is it for a wife? To tap her husband on the shoulder and say thank you every now and again—is it something that you ever? Did you, do you need that?
2: Yeah, I think so. And of course, and I and I come from a little bit of experience. We had our forty-sixth anniversary last week. We've been together fifty-one years, can include dating time. But yeah, I think that's important. Congratulations! It
1: doesn't, it doesn't have to be every day, does it, Bob?
2: No, it doesn't have to be other day, and, and you don't, you know. And I think the same goes the other way to the man of the wife. Mm-hmm. You don't have to send her flowers every other week, but it's the little things that they don't expect. If, if if you're out here doing your podcast, and your wife brings you a bowl of soup, I mean, how long does it take?
1: To say, hey, thanks,
2: appreciate that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's got to happen. Yeah, it's got to. It's got to happen to to keep the deal going. Aaron, you still got me on that one quote. I'm just <laughs> He's still. <thinking. laughs> If you're going, let's see, if you are going to not do it, say no, because, let's see, if you are going to not do it, just say no.
2: I understand that.
1: So, what this is saying, and, and I'm guilty of this a lot, is I've put myself into so many different deals in my life. And I'll forget now. Like, I'll say, yeah, I'll uh, I'll bring you that seasoning. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I may not get back by there for a long time. Or have someone call me and say, hey, man, do you know a carpenter that can do something? Yeah, let me dig around and I'll find it. And so one of the things on being a good man is being judged on your merit and on your good word, right? And I think that we pile so much into our lives, and we don't want to hurt someone's feeling by telling them no, mm-hmm. but we leave them hanging. And then ultimately, that just, it just hurts you it's and worse. the guy yeah, because you, you promised something or you said you were going to do something and you didn't do it. But
2: going back to that same quote, when you, when if if we pick some person at random that you say, boy, he's a really good guy, he's a straight shooter. If if I ask you to, hey, Joe, would you come help me move some hay bales tomorrow? And you really don't plan on doing it, but you say, well, yeah, let me see what I got going on. When you know darn well you're not going to. Mm-hmm. But if you say, no, Bob, I ain't got time. Mm-hmm. I respect you for being straight on the front end. You're a straight shooter. You're yeah. not beating around the bush about it. That's
0: exactly. That's, that's what a this good means. way to put it. Good, way, uh, well, good I, reference.
1: So if I'm at some sort of little convention and I'm trying to pitch my goods, try to sell something, <laughs> I get that saying to me all the damn time. Hey, I got to come down here. I'll be back and I'll buy that from you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and we're all guilty. We don't want to hurt the dude's feelings. And so we'll say, yeah, yeah man, I'll, I'll circle back around. I'll come back and see it." And really, all I'm looking for is, no, nah, dude, I don't want to buy you shit. Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: Well, there's a way you can word it, too. You can say, you're, you're trying to sell me your stuff. Let me think about it. Well, as soon as I walk off, I thought about it. <laughs> yeah. <night>. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and at, no. least, at least I've been honest. If, I was, no. if I was going to be honest with something, I get questioned by my wife all the time that I need to change some things. And if I was going to change something, it would be, if you're, if you are going to not do it, say no. And try that out a little bit better than I have mm-hmm. in, in in nearly the first 50 years of my life.
2: Well, that's what's the old thing with the, the, the joke with the wife to the husband. The husband says, you don't have to keep nagging me every six months. I'll do
0: it.
1: Yeah. 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 Sooner or later. Yeah. yeah. I'll get there. going to do it. Pro- production is American. Distribution is Democratic. So, I watched a World War II documentary. I I watch them almost every day. And, uh, the guy was, he was a pilot for the uh, P-52 Mustang or whatever. P-51 Mustang. P-51 Mustang. Which, From this guy's point of view and from a lot of other people, this aircraft is what helped us win World War II. Mm. Because if it's not for being in the air, uh, we didn't have a chance. I mean, it it was just a bad deal. So this guy, he's 100 years old doing this interview, and he said his whole life after the war, it hurt his feelings. Every time he heard someone say that, a mercedes was a better car than a chevy or a cadillac or you know a bmw was a better car or a toyota was a better car and and he said if we want to build it there will be no better car than the american car if we want to build it and so it made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, do we need to build all the cars? No, we can let those other people build them. But if we want to build something that's great, it's going to be built by the hands of Americans.
2: Well, but but a lot of the cars that are, are foreign, we call them foreign cars, are built by Americans. Many, many years ago, I had a little uh, BMW Z3, the little bitty sports cars. BMW, built in South Carolina. Right. Hmm.
1: boy i bet you look cool riding around in that rig. well i could fit in it then it's kind of a funny story
2: it's been i don't know four or five years ago i was uh in the process of buying a new truck first time i would bought a brand new truck in forever and while we were sitting in the dealership uh you know you, you got more paperwork to buy a vehicle now than what you used to have to buy a house but anyway there was a new corvette sitting on the showroom floor i mean i couldn't afford to buy a tire on the thing but i was joking with my wife i said you know i may get one of those to go with that truck she says what would you do with it you couldn't get in it and i said the heck i couldn't and i walked over there and she was dead right i couldn't <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was too low to the ground i don't go that low anymore <laughs> fat guy
1: in a little coat yeah 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 <laughs> distribution is democratic so that's that's the other part of production is american so the reason why i see this production is american is because henry ford Invented the assembly line, basically the factory, you know, the assembly line.
2: Well, he did a lot of clever things. He shipped yeah. these parts and wooden crates, and then the wood that was in the crate, no, they made floorboards for the cars.
1: Well, out of the crates, they sent them in. Did you hmm. know that Kingsford charcoal, the briquette, mm-hmm. is a byproduct of those Ford cars? I
2: was okay,
1: so yeah, he didn't let anything go to waste. And so they took all those small pieces that couldn't be used in the car, and turned them into Kingsford briquettes. Huh. Wow. Y- you don't listen to the show without learning something. Yeah. Distribution is democratic. So, in my mind, that's capitalism. Mm-hmm. And the ability, the importance, like all the truck drivers that were Bob's sh- riding shotgun with Bob on on the highway. The importance of these trucks, if you go back to that electric car conversation and have to alter that whole program mm-hmm. of semi-trucks going down the highway, with, I don't even think people visualize how frequently a semi-truck passes them on the highway or you pass a semi-truck. There is millions of truck drivers going up and down this highway day and night. 365 the importance of those people doing that job now could you do it different could you do it by rail well that's a whole bunch of railroad well mm-hmm. not
2: really because i've heard that that analysis we well, we'll probably bring it with trains well last time i looked there's not a train track coming to my house
0: yeah
1: no so faster but, but there is a drone coming to coming to a front yard near you walmart is <laughs> is building a drone project
2: well, and that may take off in in time, but the drone is very limited into how much weight it can pick up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You
1: in on that drone deal?
0: I I haven't experienced. I haven't even seen one. I I don't know much about it. I think it's a cool concept.
2: I had I've, through the years, I thought the drone deal was kind of cool, and I bought a little cheap in one, one time. I don't mm-hmm. know, forty five or fifty bucks. And then my wife got me one for some occasion one time it was less than a hundred dollars so obviously not quality mm-hmm. grown drones and on both cases they have a little button where when it when you want to come home. home you just hit button it'll come home well on both of those i punched that little button and it went off and we yeah. still hadn't found it you, you, it didn't say which home it was yeah I don't, I don't know where it is but it went somewhere else we never found it
1: i bought one of them for the kids and i charged it went outside I flew it up in the air, landed it, and boy my old gut started boiling. I had to poop real bad and I come running in the house and did my deed and I come out and Olivia was standing out there and she said, Dad, it's <laughs> gone. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I mean it was a it was a maiden voyage. She yeah. I said, Well, where did it go, baby? I don't know, Dad, it's just it's gone. <laughs> and it was two years later, the neighbor was out brush hogging. And he found this drone. You, he came back, back. He says, is this that thing you were looking for that night a couple of years ago? I, I said, yeah. He said, you want it back? <laughs> I said, I threw away the remote control. <laughs> 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 well,
2: apparently the good drones don't have that problem. I've got a, a neighbor that's got one of the good ones, and he was mm-hmm. kind of showing me how it worked one day. It was really neat because they I mean, may go long ways off and look at where, you know, on the phone. And yep. the, the the quality ones are pretty neat. I neat concepts.
0: They're pretty cool. They can... Oh the video Of you, these things The videos awesome. You can Like hone in on a target And it'll track you So if you're like Riding on a four wheeler Or something And you're A hauling tail And that thing will just They'll Fly keep up up. right behind you And it's It's getting better uh, A lot of them have like uh, Object detection So if there's a branch In the way It'll Whoa. Drop down And go under And continue to follow you <laughs> A lot of people use them For like Skiing down mountains and stuff. It's pretty. Those nice. people, they don't well, have like jobs. I have a guy that lives out by me that uses
2: a drone to check his cattle. Yeah, yeah sure. Rather, you know, he doesn't want to go get on the four wheeler and run wherever yeah. he just flies the drone to over. Check no his cattle. doubt. That's yeah. a great
0: idea. That's great. Yeah. There people use them in construction with, I mean, you, you have the footage for like progress photos, which is cool, but taking some bolts up to 13 yeah. story. No kidding. Mm hmm. I don't work on stuff like that. (laughs) All right. I'm down to my last few
1: questions. So one of the things that I I was listening to a guy talk and it was solve your own pain by placing your pain on others. And so Hmm. I was thinking about what, what does that mean? And, and I think it's, it's not a modern deal, but it's one of the things that, to go back on what it means to be a man, this is one of the things that weakens your your score of being a man. This takes you down to about a two on the man scale, is if to solve your own pain by placing your pain on others. Is that helping somebody, or is that you're just...
0: That's... You're miserable, so you want somebody else to be miserable. That's where I'm at. Is it... Is it like a drag them down too, or is it saying talk to somebody about it? So this, to me, this is a school shooter. Or is it somebody saying seek that guidance that you've been missing when you're about to do something bad. Go see a a good man and share your problems with them so they can help because they've maybe been through something similar. Let me read it to you, Bob.
1: Solve your own pain by placing your pain on others. It sounds like, wait.
0: Sorry, go ahead, Bob. Uh,
2: in a sense, that that kind of strikes me as a negative thing. Yeah. But then another thing, I was listening to a guy on television one night, and he was talking about what he, what in his viewpoint, he was, uh, oh, I don't know, 45 or 50 years old, something like that. And what he said was the biggest problem with men in this day and time in terms of men dealing with depression and whatever issues we deal with was that most men when they get up to a certain age no longer have a really good close man friend
0: mm-hmm. when I you're agree.
2: when you were in high school you had people you played football with when you were a little older you worked with people but as you get older those friends have their own lives they live in different towns and uh, you look around at uh, or when you get to my age, a lot of them aren't alive anymore. But you get uh, uh, people with older that uh, men that don't have a really close man friend that they can even talk to.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, one of my goals in life is I'm not going to be a lonely old man. Um, I, I see those guys. You know, you see that you see that old guy sitting there at the cafe. He's by himself. You see the you see the old guy walking down the sidewalk by himself, sitting at the park by himself. And you think about what got this guy to that point. You know, obviously maybe maybe he outlived his wife, right? Mm-hmm. And uh and he he was a good man. He he did everything for his family, did everything for his wife. He uh, he put put aside all of his buddies, his his work partners, whatever. He he put those people aside to spend all that time. Maybe it was it was uh, a necessity. Maybe his wife had the Alzheimer's or or mm-hmm. she had something, and he had to he had to be there day in and day out. He he was the only crutch to to his wife. And now all that stuff's gone, and this dude is just walking lonely or eating lonely
2: probably about a year before merle haggard died i watched an interview that i think dan rather had done with him and one of the questions dan rather asked him was he said okay obviously financially you don't need to be doing this anymore why are you still out there on the road day and night day and night and merle haggard says Lon- lonely lonely he said, I don't want to be lonesome. And Dan Rather said, well, how would Merle Haggard be lonesome? Mm-hmm. And he said, if I'm not out here doing this, he says, they'll leave you alone. Yeah. And he said, I'm afraid to be lonely. And that was Merle Haggard's biggest fear.
1: Do you read a bunch? Quite a bit. Tonight, whenever you leave, I'm going to give you Merle Haggard's latest book. Oh, on, oh. I'd like to read that, yeah. You give it back to me so Okay, I will. I will. <laughs> but but uh, I, I'll let you have it, and you can, you can read it. And uh, I've, I've been a Merle Haggard fan oh, me too. my whole life. And, and, you know, we had some late-breaking news here a couple of weeks ago. I broke the news that I was raised up in the San Joaquin Valley, just north of Merle Haggard. And uh, my my roots are Grapes of Wrath roots. That come from here and moved out there and it's 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 a real by no means i i I wasn't in jail a dozen times before i was 18 like merle haggard right (laughs) but uh but it was a similar story of of how his family got there like you ever heard the song to larry dust by merle haggard i don't think i have it's a good song i'll play it for you at the end but um it's it's a it's a great story and and how we tied this in was like uh the migrant worker today and the challenges that the migrant worker has today are the same challenges that the okies and the people Mm -hmm. in kansas texans arkansas people had whenever they were you know by necessity had to move out to california and oregon and washington and we talked about how like moberly out here was uh was apples and how arkansas was known for its apples and that's how the washington apples got out out west was Hmm. the migrants from here they knew how to grow them Hmm. went out there and did it and started this whole washington apple deal i know some stuff Um, (laughs) (laughs) so
2: you'll be like what my grandson says about me he says i'm a wealth of useless information
0: (laughs) so
1: that's the reason i wanted you here tonight (laughs) was because of what what somebody would consider useless information i i need it's kind of it's it's uh it's the pollen that keeps me growing you know mm-hmm. and i had a guy one of our guests he said at the point in your life that you start appreciating history your history
2: well we're all history i mean i, I get tickle people talk about uh historical historical outlook on something five minutes ago is history to us now i mean everything is history
1: okay 9-11 coming up where were you
2: i can tell you exactly where i was i was uh I was a supervisor within the Criminal Investigation Division. was having a meeting with all of my the investigators that worked for me. We were in my office when it hit. I only lived about a mile from the office, and we all loaded up and went to my house and watched it on TV. Yeah, remember? It? I'm the same way with when Kennedy was killed. Uh, of course, y'all probably weren't around then, but I can remember exactly where I was when John F. Kennedy was killed.
1: So do you remember the patriotism after 9-11? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And you remember how short lived it was? Oh, it didn't like, last
2: long. No, I mean Bush had an uh, had an approval rating in the '80s. Mm-hmm. Back then, yeah. And the patriotism, you know, everything you saw, said we'll never forget, and all that. And you know, it's like a lot of things, it uh,
1: History. it fades. Yeah, I've got a few. I got a few little questions here. So stakes for sheepdogs which we really never talk about on the on the podcast is uh is my way of understanding that i can't i can't change the country i can't change the state i can't change the world but i could do my part and and i think that's that's the forgotten part about doing community work is someone will say well, shit, it's only one of me or or I can't do nothing to make a change. And so you get back to pie, you get that 3% of people who say that we're going to go out and try to do something. It's super critical that we find the people who are the door openers because I, I also find that if you open up the door for people, they'll walk through it. But it takes someone to... to have the willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to go out and do this and I'll do the hard part and if you guys want to come in and help me, we can get this done. And so we did our first stakes for sheepdog right after the uh the night in Dallas where the bad mm-hmm. guy came in and killed nine police officers. Mm-hmm. And uh I watched it on the news. It was the first time that stuff was shown live on TV, you know, it was an all-out shootout and Matter of fact, it was the first time a robot has ever shot and killed somebody. Hmm. <laughs> they, brought in, they brought in one of the, the task force had a, had a robot, and they brought in the robot to get the bad guy. But I sat there that night and watched, and I was getting mad, boy, watching this deal, and my wife says, I bet you're going to try to do something, aren't you? And I said, I imagine I will. So on Monday, I went to Bentonville. I asked if i could go talk to the chief and the chief knew me and and uh i told him that i was he asked what i was there for and i said i, I was going to do a protest and uh he said well you ain't much of a protester <laughs> <laughs> and i said well i ain't good at lying in the road or holding up a sign i said but i can cook a steak and and i'd like to cook y'all a steak and he said if you got a minute shift change can you go in and talk at shift change so I said I would and I went inside of of the room and you know there's male police officers and female police officers and a real diverse police force in in Bentonville and and, uh, I told them my name is Joe Wilson and I'm a member of the community and y'all are important to me but if you're fearful you're going to do something wrong and I said, uh, I don't need a police officer taking care of me who's scared. The reason why I'm saying this is I think that we all get scared at some point. There's, sometimes it's weird stuff that makes us spook, you mm-hmm. know. But to go to work every day and fear for your life every day. Your wife is doing it. She's fearful of, of your life. Your kids are fearful of, of what's going to happen. And and so there's a stress, and this is coming after what we talked about, man. These guys beat the shit out of this guy the other day, mm-hmm. and we don't know the whole story on it, so we really can't dig into it till the state police finish their investigation. But if you tie a dog to a tree, more than likely it's going to be a mean dog. If you got a chain on it and you're constantly walking by and teasing that dog, and, and you got it chained up. The minute that dog gets off of there... Look at my leg. The minute, the minute that that <laughs> dog gets off the chain, there's a good chance that sucker's going to bite you. Mm-hmm. Over the last 20 years, they have chained up our law enforcement. They have constantly badgered them on the news and and they're using them as a focal point of what's of what's wrong with the judicial system what's wrong with the judicial system is the damn judges and the laws but so i went in i told these people and and you know i live in a in norman rockwell painting of happy walmart world to where it's as perfect as it can be and I remember when the bad news in our paper was like a raccoon ate the dog food <laughs> out of the garage. <laughs> right. you remember that, Bob?
2: Well, I don't remember that particular <laughs> story, but I remember those kinds of stories. <laughs>
1: those stories were in the paper. And, and the reason why our news is Fayetteville Fort Smith is we needed Fort Smith for the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And so to find out that these people were fearful over what had happened in the big city of Dallas, it hurt me. And so we cooked them steak dinners that Friday. I think we fed uh, just over a hundred people, and then the next week we fed two hundred people, and then we kept on going. And and uh, it wasn't it wasn't because at, at the beginning it wasn't because someone was killed. It was just the community that we were going to said we want you to come help us mm-hmm. feed people, and then it became a deal to where. There were so many police officers being killed that we found it a necessity that we had to go to those communities when it happened, and, and uh, I don't own stakes for sheepdogs. Watch out! That's it's that. okay. You remember what I told you about that dog? <laughs> I don't. I don't own stakes for sheepdog. I, I am. I'm the founder, but the people that make it success are the volunteers across the country. And like, you know, an officer Carr was murdered in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. He was shot nine times in the face, sitting in the police car at the police station. And we fed a thousand people that weekend. The fall he was killed on a Saturday. We did it the next Saturday. And his dad come up, and we do a steak for the fallen. And it's the best steak out of the litter. If we if we're cooking three hundred, we find the top steak out of three hundred. We give somebody the opportunity to cook that steak, and it's an emotional deal for a guy or a woman to get to cook that steak for the fallen. And we do a moment of silence, and we set it up. It's as good as it can get. And Officer Carr's dad walked up, and he said, is that steak for my son? And I said, yes, sir, it is. And he said, that's not good enough for my boy. This is one week exactly, almost to the hour that his son was murdered and i said what's wrong with it sir and he said my son would eat two
3: steaks
1: (laughs) (laughs) and i said we can make that happen and i sat down with with the family and uh we we laughed like within 10 minutes and we we uh we talked about what was going to happen in the future and, and he asked when he could go help us, you know, the dad. Bob, I sat in a room over the last couple years with well over a dozen moms and dads who had lost their son a week, few weeks, a month earlier to, to the wolf, to the bad guy. Do you know that? every one of these families have forgiven this deal in pine bluff we brought down a preacher from up here and he he led into prayer the whole family sitting in the room and uh we got done praying for the boy that was killed Mm -hmm. and the mom says can you pray for the boy that killed my son and so the preacher went to praying i bowed my head and i was listening to this deal and and i thought boy i'm glad that's over you know and she said i got one more request she said would you mind if you prayed for the judge who's going to try the boy that killed my son and pray for leniency Hmm. and uh i kept my head up during this prayer and when i walked out there was a state senator and he said, what did you think of that? I said, well, they read the same book that I read. I said, I guess they read it a little bit different. And I said, Manny, you kill my son, more than likely I'm going to come kill you. And uh, that, that's that been a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about this. And what I've thought about is if i if you killed my son, Bob, and I come after you, this is where that arrogance comes through. Me killing you, the only thing that this solves, don't really solve shit, to be honest with you. I ain't going to bring him back. Ain't mm-hmm. going to bring him back. And the only reason that I'm coming to kill you is to somehow try to make me feel better. And ultimately, I'm just spreading the pain because someone loves you. And then more killing happens, and the circle just keeps on going and going and going. And so you've been around a lot of people, and, and you've obviously stood there during some real hard times, like the hardest times for people. And I'm not telling you I'm against capital punishment, because, like, the boy down there in Texas at the school shooting, boy, he deserves just the ultimate. He, he don't. Death is easy for him
2: let me tell you a story about the capital punishment i'd love it do you remember obviously you remember when david Pryor was a senator but before he was a senator he was the governor of the state of arkansas well i was stationed in little rock at the time and i was never assigned to governor's security but sometimes they'd run short of people and one of us midnight troopers would have to go over and work governor's security for the midnight shift At the governor's mansion. Well, the governor was already in bed, and then you had a little TV out there in the little guard shack, which turned off at midnight, so you didn't have anything to do. But when David Pryor was governor, occasionally he'd come out there like at 1 o'clock in the morning in his pajamas. I didn't know men still wore pajamas, but he'd come out there. Hugh Hefner did. Yeah, well, that's a little different story. (laughs) But he would come out there in his pajamas and visit with you for like an hour, and just, you know, a really nice guy. I was sitting out there working Governor Security one night, and he came out there about 1 o'clock in the morning, obviously couldn't sleep, and he got to talking about the death penalty. And he said, that's weighing heavy on my mind. And I said, what are you talking about, Governor? Well the way the death penalty, I guess it's still that way, but the way it was back then is when a jury or a judge sentences someone to the death penalty, the governor signs the death warrant. And until the governor signs the death warrant, nothing happens. And David Pryor was talking about, he said, you know, he says, I've always been a proponent of the death penalty and, you know, heinous cases. But he said, it really weighs on your mind when you know that the mere signing of your name is going to kill some mother's son, if they're married, some wife's husband, just by you signing your name. And he said that was really playing heavy on his mind, and you could tell that was really troubling him, and it was only, it wasn't very much longer after that. And, boy, I'm not a good student of history, but if I'm not mistaken, did the U.S. Supreme Court not strike down the death penalty for a while?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: And I think it was shortly after that that the... uh, that the uh, Supreme Court struck down the death penalty, and therefore he did not have to sign that warrant. But I've always thought about that through the years, what he said about that. You know, you can be a big proponent of it, but just imagine if the the very act of you signing your name on that piece of paper is going to kill someone. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, and the same deal. And it's
2: not going to bring anybody back.
1: Right. Yeah, And, and, you know, the family of the murdered has a lot of say in that. They can tell the judge that you know I've I've lost my loved one due to the hands of this fellow over here, and we're opposed to to the death penalty on him. And that rides with the judge. I mean, the judge can
2: he can take that into account if he so chooses. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Are you for it, Aaron? I I mean, initial re- initial reaction is, yeah.
2: Okay, next question. If you were the one that had to sign the death warrant, yeah. could you?
0: Right. That's the putting that, telling that story. You get this question. If, you, puts, if you're on a jury,
1: if, if they call you in as a, a mm-hmm. prospective juror for a death penalty case, mm-hmm. they're going to ask you if you're for the death penalty or if you're against it. And depending on how those lawyers mm-hmm. take this, they'll either pick you or they'll let you go
2: strike you for cause yeah Mm -hmm.
1: and so it's a question that at any time you can be asked as a a citizen Mm -hmm. so would you you get called up for jury duty next week and they ask you it's a death penalty case it's for uh it's for officer apple over in in pea ridge who was run over and killed last year um Will you sentence someone to death? If it's,
0: there's a, I feel there, I don't know the details of that. Was it deliberate, I guess? Yeah. Like the guy that walked up on the police officer and shot him nine times in the face, I would be a a proponent for the death penalty. So that leads you into this deal to where now you have to decide
1: which, I mean, because there's cases that are automatically can be a death penalty case and i i'll tell you this the older i get the less faith i have in in our system of law i think that it's been manipulated it's it's wealth driven it it, it it's set up against the poor folk i can tell you that it's always been that way but it's more drastic now than ever whenever you can have people because of of the power of a lawyer and buying the best lawyer and buying the best research and buying everything. I mean, dude, we see it all the time to where wealth gets away with murder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a poor dude, it is what it is, man. Yeah. And so do I think that there's innocent people in in prison. Yes. Is it a majority? No. It, it's a, it's a fragment of the population in the penitentiary that was wrongly convicted. But if
2: you're that one person or that one person's loved one, that's a bunch. It's yeah,
1: a whole bunch. It's a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And to say that you know there that's telling you there is zero chance that you, <laughs> that we're ever going to do proper DNA or we're going to we're gonna find the bad guy. It's over now. And then if we do find it after we burned your ass up, well, well what oops, do you say? Oops.
2: Or what happens if 20 mm. years from now, science evolves and they say, oops, that DNA wasn't as accurate as we thought it was. There's
1: a mm. good chance of it. I mean, who knows? Right. Yeah. You know, what's the fancy satellite deal we took pictures of the
0: farthest reaches oh, of space? man. I don't even remember what it's... No,
2: the one after Hubble, but I can't remember the name of it.
1: So I was listening to some stuff this weekend. <coughs> and so now, you know, they're saying that's like 13 billion years ago, the pictures. It's not looking real good for these pictures. <laughs> um, the, the Big Bang Theory is going to be tested off of off of these photos because uh, the scientists are now looking at it and thinking, uh-oh, you know. And I've always been curious, Bob, like, uh, you know, this is math that these guys are doing to figure out volume and size, and they're looking at just a little blinking color and can tell you what kind of gas that is. It's It sounds to me like a bunch of bullshit, <laughs> 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 you know. It, re- it really does, and and, you know, we're a thousand years removed from being on a flat earth Mm -hmm. you know know,
2: what what's the old joke about shadows that said here's this beam of light that spent the last hundred million years
1: headed to earth and you stood in its way and blocked it (laughs) (laughs) well all right aaron you got any oh well i got a couple these are our ending questions okay what's your thought on pedicures i love them boom are you serious bob Wait, wait, is petted the feet or yeah, the feet? feet? Yeah.
2: I about two years ago my granddaughter and my wife went to get a pedicure and they just kept gorging me if I was gonna do it. And I said, Okay, you think I won't do it, I'll do it. I'm telling
1: you, bud, it felt good. They whoop out the cheese grater and everything on them? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the
2: grinding (laughs) wheel, just like on Dumb and Dumber and the whole bit. And
1: And Something about that cheese grater really gets Joe. (laughs) Was there not any kick reflex at all? Oh, yeah, when I started the cheese grater on the (laughs) heel, there was (laughs) no kick reflex. But when they
2: started that massage on the legs, Mm -hmm. uh, they had me right there. Mm
1: -hmm. All right, so we've asked some distinguished guests this next question. Don't ask me why we ask it because you're on joe's podcast okay. but, and hell i've i very seldom feel bad asking this question i was wondering if you were gonna have the
0: gumption to do it oh today. yeah i do
1: <laughs> I, I mean i you, do you know what the question is no uh, i think i'm fixing to find out <laughs> i have never seen my butthole in my entire life bob i, I neither have i there Boom. Seniors. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there,
0: there everybody's seniors.
1: <laughs> and if everything works right, we're going to keep it that way. <laughs> you know, uh, God, I hope so. <laughs> so was the response. He hadn't seen my butthole. Yeah. All right. The question. The question is, have you ever seen your own butthole?
2: Oh man, I've seen it on video. I've had colonoscopies.
1: Yeah. So you're looking at 1080i or 1080 high def. 1080p. High. Yeah. 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 Huh. All right, so, like, it, it, without a without in advanced scientific stuff, like, we're talking a mirror or some sort of origami. Have you ever seen your butthole?
2: Not that I can recall, but I can't mind. rule it out.
1: Yeah. I didn't have a colonoscope camera. Aaron's that. seen his own butthole before. Yeah. And that's what sparked this conversation. So we had to ask, like, Gary P.
0: Nunn. The only unfortunate thing is...
2: Gary P. Nunn was the one that wrote Lonesome Homesick. Yep. I could, I, I'm one of the few, at least of this age group, probably, that can say I enjoyed a nice evening at the Armadillo.
0: Hey, there you go.
2: So, I'm going to go home to the Armadillo? So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, so we had... Uh, so by the time this airs, people will listen to the Gary P. Nunn podcast. And up until we interviewed Gary P. Nunn, the longest interview we could find was 30 minutes. And we sat with Gary for... Two hours. Two hours. Wow. Over two hours. And we got to go home with the armadillo. I think the
2: armadillo closed in 1980, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Well, we, uh, through a stroke of luck, we were able to get a Gary P. Nunn interview. Mm -hmm. And it was just,
0: it was a great show. Drops in the morning. Mm -hmm. Well, by the time this comes out, I mean. Dropped
1: a while back. Yeah. (laughs) But uh,
0: we. uh, Go check it out.
1: You'll love this show because it goes through the history of that song. It goes through his history with Michael Martin Murphy, um, Jerry Jeff Walker. Um, who else?
2: I think, I don't maybe Michael Martin Murphy, but I know Jer- Jerry Jeff Walker played the Armadillo several times. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, did you know that um, Austin City Limits, the mm-hmm. theme song?
2: The oh, Gary, yeah. Gary yeah. Pena. Yeah.
1: And so. And as far as Gary P. Nunn told us, he was pro pedicure. Yep. And kind of skipped around on the CNN butthole.
0: Yep.
2: Well, now, the, uh, one got the people at the table, obviously I've given my positive comments on the pedicure. What about you two?
0: Oh, I have, yeah. <laughs> I'm against just it. Just
1: afraid we're going <laughs> to have to do it one day. <laughs> I'm against it, man. I just.
2: If I could afford it, I'd probably do it once a week. Well,
1: so we have a guest on the show that spends $400 a month.
2: Well, the first one I had, I was a little embarrassed because I'm sitting here, and luckily there was another man sitting next to me, and he was close to my age, and I think he could tell I was uncomfortable about it. And he says, man, this is great, isn't it? And I said, yeah, I guess. He says, you know, I come get one every time before I get ready to play a golf tournament. There you
1: go. I've heard that if you take care of your feet, it's like the key to good health. And I've also been told by old timers that if you stop peeing good or pooping right, you can go see a doctor. Okay. That's like the barometer yeah. for your body is the stuff coming out of it mm-hmm. and having good working feet. You know when you break in that new pair of boots, it just wrecks you for a while. Yeah. But uh, Bob... We've enjoyed every minute of it. Well,
2: I've had a good time. I don't know that we've covered anything of any great importance, but I guess that wasn't the the goal. Well,
1: (laughs) hell, I'll give you this opportunity to give us just one good kick-ass story.
2: Oh, good Lord. Kick-ass story. Okay, we'll go back to the youth. Okay. I had a brother. He's been gone for a long time, but I had a brother that was 18 months older than I am, Keep in mind, we, we lived on the lake, no neighbors anywhere around. We had access to boats the whole time. Well, somebody had told us that they had seen a panther. Hmm, black a, one. A black one, black panther. Now, whether those even exist, I don't know. But we decided in our mind that it did. Mm-hmm. So we spent weeks, and we built this huge catch alive panther cage. Yeah. That we load in the boat, and we take two or three coves up the lake, and we need something to bait it with. Well, I had bought three chickens— that I was going to get eggs out of, and i later learned that roosters don't lay eggs. <laughs> but anyway, so we used one of these chickens for the bait in our panther cage. And it was one of those deals where the bait was in a separate deal. So even if the panther got in there, he wasn't going to get the chicken. So we put it out there the first night, and we go up the next day, and nothing there but a ticked-off chicken. Second day we go up there, same thing. Third day we go up there, we have caught the world's biggest great horned owl. That thing must have been three feet tall and had talons that looked like a grizzly bear. Did he
1: allow you to get rid of
2: Well, that was our next question. <laughs> Obviously, we had to bring it home and show it off. So we brought it home and show it off. Now we got to decide how we're going to turn this dead gun thing loose. So what we did is we set it next to the car, tied a string onto the the the, the door to the cage, mm-hmm. We got in the car, rolled the window up where it was only about an inch, and then pulled that string until it opened, and finally the thing flew off. And that was the last we ever heard of the the Black
1: Panther. So in all your time in the woods, have you seen the mountain lion? Never. You heard them?
2: I heard what we thought were. Back in in my youth, nobody had air conditioners, so in the summer— you had your windows open. there were times that you would hear this loud sound like a woman screaming, and my dad always said, "Well, it's a mountain lion now, whether that's what it was or not, I don't have a clue. Hmm. I've seen bobcats in the woods, but i don't I've never seen a mountain so
1: lion so all that driving down the highway at night, no mountain lions, no bigfoot bear,
2: well, a couple of bigfoots,
1: but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was what she called yeah. herself yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no
2: i've never seen i've uh, I've never seen a bear on the highway, yeah.
1: You know, they say that that's one of of the reasons they've never found a Bigfoot is they have never found the skeleton remains of a bear that hadn't been shot or ran over. Like, that has died of natural causes. Really? Hmm. They've never found a bear that has died of natural causes in the woods. What's the theory behind that? Well, the same deal. Like, that's why there ain't no skeleton Bigfoot out there. What about a UFO?
2: Haven't seen one, but I'm not ruling them out. I think, you know, you, you look at even just our universe, what little we know. I mean, we're just, we're like the earth is one grain of sand on all the world's beaches.
1: It's and like the fat in that salami. Yeah, I like and, that
2: answer. And, and to, to assume that only on this one grain of sand is there some sort of life, to me just doesn't make sense.
1: I'm right there. I with like you. that answer a lot. Okay. Bob, you got any questions for Aaron?
2: Why is there air other than for blowing up basketballs? I don't know. <laughs> <have it. laughs>
1: you said on the Facebook post today that bullshit was going to be running down your shirt like gravy. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I love it. <laughs> That's uh, great. You got any questions for me? No. Well, good. Well, folks, that'll wrap up this mm-hmm. episode with Bob. And, you know, he come in here and he told me that he wasn't going to have nothing to say. Yep that there was no good stories that come out of it. And I guess we kind of proved them wrong. I
2: had a supervisor years ago when I was in a criminal division. Of course, we had to do reports on everything. And where a lot of people would uh, write a report on an interview and they do it in a half page, I'd take six pages. And I remember that supervisor once telling me, he said, brevity ain't your long suit, is it?
1: Uh, <laughs> awesome.
0: All right, walk us out of here, Aaron. All right, well, everybody, thanks for listening, Bob. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, treat. Glad um, we'll to have you on again. Hear some more of your stories and keep it rolling. So, all
1: right, folks, Thanks. we'll catch you next time. Make sure Likes. you like
0: it, subscribe
1: it, subscribe it, download it. Those yeah. are important. Yeah, share it. And uh, five of those stars or whatever. Yeah. Thanks for the support. Thanks, Bob. Thank you.